Speaking of Halloween, what yeah. are you guys doing? The Halloween? Yeah. yeah. We have a we have a I mean you both have kids, so you get to trick or treat, right? Josh, how old are your kids? Um my youngest is six. Oh cool. so we, we still have we still have some of that going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're trick or treating for sure. I have a costume party the night before Halloween with kids and everything. And I just today got my London Fog raincoat in the mail because I'm going as Columbo. And I got oh, my wig. Oh, awesome. I'm yes. so excited to see that. <laughs> so I, I still need to Are you get wearing it. the wig? Oh, yeah. I have to. Fuck yeah, dude. I, I got to get a couple more things, but I got the, I got the raincoat today. I didn't think it was going to show up. And uh, yeah. And so, but hopefully it's a nice night. I don't know. Nice. We just go around the neighborhood with the kids. There's a bunch of kids down on the street are close with the girls you know yeah that's kind of the setup we got here like in the past with my older girls we lived kind of in a sketchier area of town yeah so you'd travel elsewhere in the city yeah to to go but now uh you know we live in like white picket fenceville and it's all the little families get together and even even last year a bunch of people did um candy shoots or just set up folding tables by the by the road and stuff so yeah that was basically last year. People just left shit out on the steps. Yeah, you know, for the most part, we still went down the street. But yeah, hopefully it's a little better soon, right? Yes, and uh, hopefully because I'm doing the the twelve hours of terror at the Bell Court next weekend uh, nice. with a mystery lineup. Don't know what the the movies are going to be. Oh, uh, cool! I do have a couple friends like introducing some of the movies though, mm-hmm. so that's that's always cool. Nice. And then. The following weekend with my buddies, we're doing 24 hours, uh, but we split that into a couple days. So we have a rest period in between because we always manage to do the same thing that my daughter did last night, which is we stay up way too late and then eat a bunch of candy and get sick. Yeah. <laughs> so so we built in a rest period so we yeah. can we can crash because my buddy has a couple extra bedrooms. So that's going to be a good time, too. Nice. Times. Well. um. I'm going to take a quick break. If you guys are ready to get the shindigger on the road, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick, and then <laughs> figure right. we can start this off. Sweet. Sounds good, buddy. And remember, you're both sending these recordings to me, so I can hear <laughs> whatever you say about me after I leave. Good. So let's not be talking too much shit, right? <laughs> Literally, my favorite thing is uh, I did the edit for this last one with Umar. And yeah, yeah. before he or I got online, Sean had started his recording and he's just doing metal vocals by yeah. himself. Yeah. Uh, and it was like <laughs> 45 seconds of the deepest growls I've ever heard. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I want to put it to music and just release it on its own. I want to hear it. <laughs> no. I should just leave him in like at the end of the episode. I wish I had cooler headphones. I, I bought these. These things are huge. Yeah, what kind are they? I don't know. They're cheap. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're cheap. They were like 30 Okay. These are, I got my Sony. These are the ones that I use on set all the time. 
Yeah. Uh, for like monitoring sound. I've yeah. used the same ones for like 10 years. Yeah. But uh, if you look back at pictures of David Lynch making Dune, he's wearing the same headphones. They, oh, no like, shit, huh? They haven't changed in like 40 years. So I'm wow. like, I'm solid with these. Yeah. They've, they've been industry standard for that long. I'm good with them. Yeah. I'll have to splurge. I don't, you know, I'm not recording stuff that often. So I haven't had I mean, huge cause to, to spend any more money on. What's that? Um, hey, how are you? Hey, those are the wrong headphones, Sean. Oh, I put <laughs> I put the wrong headphones on. <laughs> oh. oh, he looks so confident too. That's great. Couldn't hear you. Soft. <laughs> Get it together, Sean. <laughs> no, it's a it's oh. a we're by the way. This is a Saturday night. We're recording this. So that might explain my antics. <laughs> um, Justin. Yes, sir. But while I have you here, yeah. I, I, I hate to do a visual medium for an audio world, but uh, what timeline do you think my hair has left? Well, um, how old are you? I am 35 years old, sir. You probably... I smoked cigarettes for 12 years. Yeah. I've you, you drank probably... for too many. Yeah, you'll probably. I don't. I don't know. I mean, you you did pretty good up until now because I started shaving or I started losing my hair in high school, and I started shaving when I was like twenty three. But I could have held on a little longer, maybe. But I, I decided not to. I don't know. You probably got another six months at least. <laughs> what, six months? <laughs> what do you mean six months? I I thought we were talking years here, man. What the fuck are you talking about? Six oh. months. Yeah, yeah, oh. years. Yeah, you got caught oh, ten my years. God. Then. Okay, but what about? <laughs> oh, I love it. We can't Can all I be do... blessed like Josh. Look at that mane, man. That thing's. Beautiful. I know Josh is beautiful. like Josh. Looks like your wig that yeah. you wear. That's yeah, beautiful. Um, Justin, can I put? Can I do the Statham? Would that yeah. work with like my beard? Yeah, um, I think you could. What are What are my options? Like, oh, I, I need to know, man. Yeah, you could do the Statham or the Bruce Willis. No, I don't. Uh, don't say Bruce Willis. I don't. God, I don't, don't want to be Bruce Willis. Please. No. What about Michael Chiklis? Mm. Chiklis is too. Uh, the I feel like the thing I have is the beard. Yes. And so, like, I I'll always have the beard. And Justin, you pull off. Chiklis looks bulbous. Justin, you have like a really nice shaped head that yeah. goes to your jawline, like. For a bald man with a clean shaven face, I, you wear it very nicely. Yeah, I could. I don't know. I could grow something too. Nicole doesn't like it though. When yeah. it gets when it gets too thick, mine looks ratty though. Like it doesn't get full like Josh or Josh. Sean. Yeah. It's like I mean, it's like I know, have a big patch right here where Josh's is gray. Kind of that's where mine doesn't grow right there and right here. You know man. who else was able to grow a gigantic beard and mustache? Oh yeah. Kurt Russell. Welcome, now, viewers. We are here on Nashville CA this week with our good friend Justin Kylie, and oh. we are going to be here talking Bone Tomahawk and The Descent. We are excited. There's a lot of facial hair in the first movie. <laughs> There's not so much in the second, but man, what a pairing about two movies that go into the caves. I am ready for this conversation. Hello, Josh. Hello, Justin. Hello, Sean. Hello, Sean. Hey, Josh. 
Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited about this. And I think that now his Bone Tomahawk must have been filmed during the same time, around the same time as uh, the Hateful Eight, because he's got the same same hair and facial hair and both. Yeah, it's it's got to be right. Yeah, I mean he's kind of rocking the same look in his Santa Claus role though. Yeah, in that other movie. So yeah. Whoa, whoa, that's good. I like to think of this as a trilogy now <laughs> between. <laughs> I wish, uh, I oh, except, talk about yeah. heads. Talk about heads of hair, though. Kurt Russell, holy cow! Oh God, you know. Okay, God, yeah, but I see Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's the inspiration for my beard. I mean, yeah. not this beard now, but when I was um, twenty years old, I was watching the thing, and I was watching it with the commentary with Kurt Russell and John Carpenter, where they're smoking a bunch of cigarettes and talking yeah. about how the cigarettes aren't stale and all that yeah. shit. It's a great commentary track. And um, Kurt Russell mentions that he, to grow his beard out for the thing, he didn't shave for a year. Mm. And this, in my 20-year-old brain, was just like, ping, I'm not going to shave my beard for a year starting now. Yeah. And the thing was, I was 20 years old, but I was kind of a late bloomer. And so (laughs) I had like a blonde, curly beard. It wasn't like this dark beard that i have now where it's like kind of like straight hair i think i saw so, i'm pretty sure i saw a picture of you i'll i'll have to get my mom to find some photos of me because i just have this like amish looking beard yeah. <laughs> that sticks out and i didn't trim it at all mm. yeah and so it just like sticks out from the side of my face and it, it looked terrible mm. and then i was just i wore death metal t-shirts with a bald shaved head because i shaved my head bald for a few months with this amish beard and then I walked around the campus of my junior college wondering why people didn't want to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I wore t-shirts that were like offensive death metal t-shirts like the time to kill is motherfucking now. Yeah. Or trample the weak, hurdle the dead. Like yeah. I was I was that guy. Yeah. And then be like, I want people to see that there's a nice guy underneath this hard exterior shell. Yeah. <laughs> but no how, how'd but that work out course, for you. Not well, not well, because, you know, in reality, you actually have to be nice to people and be like, yeah, presentable and like approach people in a nice way. You can't sit there looking like you want to murder everyone, right, expecting right. somebody to then come up to you and be like, hey, you seem cool. How's it going? <laughs> so, Justin, yes, uh, I uh am i don't know if it's too much to say in love with your songs oh i thought you were gonna say my wife <laughs> i haven't met your wife oh, okay. but Whoa. let's not rule it out yet <laughs> that, could you imagine the publicity this episode would get if we had that confrontation here on this <laughs> it's like nah. that episode of cheaters where the guy gets stabbed on the boat <laughs> yeah all oh, the songs totally. man. yeah those songs are uh they're fun man yeah I, I, I've I've been slacking a little bit uh, lately, but I, I'm gonna get back to it. Uh huh. Yeah. It's it's so much fun. Like I don't know. I I like seeing you get into it, and then they're so goofy and yeah. great, and yeah. just make me happy in a way. And I love it when people that I know make cool shit like that, yeah. and it just makes yeah. me happy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So sure. listeners may know Justin if you're a Doughboys fan, because he is the Justin from all of Mitch's stories, that, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, on the 24-hour marathon, Justin, you played Sigourney Fever. Yes, did I did. 
Yes, so, I did. Uh, yeah. that's one of, that's like a three part epic that you wrote about Sigourney Weaver, is it not? It is, yeah. Not well, that was just <laughs> just the one, but the the epic is the time Jason, but I'm working on the time Jason thing still. I get, this I get, wouldn't be Nashville CA if I didn't mess up a really basic fact with our guest <laughs> every single time. But at least I got your name right. Yeah, you did. First I called I, I called George by the wrong last name right off the bat. Yes, oh, yeah. immediately. <laughs> well, what did you what was his last name that you used? His last name is Heffler. Heffler, Heffler yeah. T it's T L E R. Yeah, and I just called him he- George Hefter. Hefter, I, yeah. I, I I negated the L. Yeah, and in doing so, I negated all pride I had in myself for that entire episode. <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? You know? Yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, Josh, you never saw this before. No, Bone Tomahawk. This it's a first time watch for me, yeah. and boys, I was not expecting this. Like. It was kind of a rise and shine movie for me, and it blew my hair back. <laughs> yeah, oh, it good. Was, Justin, it was wild. Why, yeah, let, let's get into this. We're going to talk about Bone Tomahawk first. Bone Tomahawk is a movie that came out in 2015, directed by S. Craig Zoller. Um, yeah. I just want to get this out of the way right off the bat. Uh, S. Craig Zoller is a seemingly problematic guy who is far right, and a lot of people are not going to like him politically. Yeah, but we're gonna separate the art from the artist here on this show, so we're not really gonna get bogged down in that. Yeah, and um, so we're just gonna move on from here. Okay, it stars Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, and really Richard Jenkins. Yes, yes, this movie, my God, and um, it's it's a western horror movie, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, but Justin, why did you bring this movie to us? Well, I I tried. I just was trying to think of something that uh, you guys haven't talked about, and also something that um, that scares me, and something that is of a certain quality that uh, that has come out recently, which there hasn't been many things, honestly. If in my experience, a lot of things too recently that came out that really, like Josh said, blew my hair back. But I don't, I don't have hair. But you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and uh, I guess. The, the the I guess the thing for me is, and it's similar, I don't want to get into the second movie that we're talking about as well, but both have a similar thing for me, which is uh, a, a horror movie that's that's really scary, but that doesn't, that takes its time to get to the scares, builds so much um, interesting uh, tension, and uh, features a lot of interesting discussion between the characters. Like, the dialogue is really interesting and funny and all this stuff really well written like a, a movie that um is is confident enough not to have to try to scare you every second you know and take its time you know through through the first hour and a half like not too much is going on in this movie other than you know you you, you get to spend time with these characters who are really well written so i i guess i'm trying to say that it's just uh it's just really engaging for me to watch something that's a horror movie but doesn't have to rely on cheap thrills and relies on real real character development and story and stuff like that. And this, and this movie definitely does. So I'd like to just go through the cast real quick because the strength of this movie is this ensemble, which I think everyone on screen is absolutely popping here. And Justin, I, I kind of want to get 
maybe your feedback of like who you really thought stood out here as we've got Kurt Russell as the sheriff, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox from Lost, um, Richard Jenkins, who's been in everything. Lily Simmons, who I haven't seen in much. um, Yeah. But I I felt she really looked like she came from this era. Mm. Um, That guy who Evan Yona clicked. Uh, And then we got a David Arquette and Sid Haig Mm. who start the movie. And if if David Arquette and Sid Sid Haig don't set a tone to start a movie, I don't know what will. Well, it's funny you say that because I I made note of like when the first time I saw this at the opening scene with Sid Haig and David Arquette, I I almost shut it off, and not because of those two actors or anything, but just because of the very first shot is David Arquette slicing, trying to slice the guy's throat. And I felt like it was one of those things where I was going to be have to endure. I was I was volunteering to to endure some kind of torture porn or like Rob Zombie adjacent movie where it's just gore and violence. And and I don't have a problem with gore and violence by any means. I love all this stuff, but I just feel like if it doesn't serve the story, if there's nothing else interesting going on in the story, kind of just like I just don't care. A perfect example is a rob zombie movie for me no offense to anyone who does like that stuff, but those movies are just dreadful and 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 uh ex- ex- excessively violent and like just it just doesn't it it's just like blah you know i just have to, i have no interest in watching that stuff so when i first turn this on uh that's the first scene i'm like oh man this is gonna suck you know and because it kind of it left a bad taste in my mouth but uh eventually of course after about 10 to 15 minutes, I was fully on board with everything that happened. You know? And it was such a subtle, quiet movie, you know? And those, the, the lack of music a lot of the time is really effective for me as well. Just quiet scenes. Of but yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that opening scene because you were talking it about... Flashed, the yeah, we get a hard cut to an open and it's just a dude lying on his back with Arquette with a blunt knife. And I think that's the part that's extra fucked up, is that yeah, he- we see this guy struggling to, with all of his force just to get this knife to slice into this guy. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, really, it's a hell of a way to start a movie. And again, if you watch S. Craig Zoller's other movies, which yeah. I've seen, Dread to Cross Concrete and Brawl in Cell Block. Yeah. This, this guy clearly thinks that there's something to be said with absolutely gruesome violence. Mm-hmm. And in a way of Blue Ruin, I do, I do think that he shows violence in a disturbing and disgusting way. And the <laughs> fact that right yeah. off the bat, that's the shot that you get. Yeah. It, do, it does set you up for a tone, which is really fucked up and then luckily like you said we get an hour and a half of other stuff going on and it's kind of more traditional western stuff because Mm -hmm. this movie gets really really (laughs) this is like one of the darkest movies I've ever seen towards the end oh towards the end yeah so I was amazed because I knew this film by reputation and so over the last couple years like you know I kind of knew about that it was over the top violent and had some cool action and stuff, but I did not expect, first of all, the performances. And secondly, the, the amount of comedy that's in it, especially the Kurt Russell, uh, Richard Jenkins duo. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Jenkins playing his backup deputy, uh, yeah. Chicory. So I, like, Richard Jenkins yeah. stole this movie it's so from good. a group so good. of actors who are all chewing the scenery so hard. Mm-hmm. But Richard Jenkins in going the opposite way. I mean, it's how his character was written, but it's also his performance of just being this aloof man who doesn't quite understand how dangerous everything is mm-hmm. and like how fucked up everything is. He's he's genuinely incredible. I, I yeah. found him captivating. All of yeah. his comments are so many of his lines are like off to the side or kind of afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. And they're just like a perfect little button on a joke uh, each time he, he comes out with one of those. Uh, and it reminded me, Sean, you'll appreciate this, a little of Carl Pilkington. His Yes, he's it, stream of consciousness, yes. Richard Jenkins. Yeah, yep. that's true. And multiple times people ask, like, would you shut up? And at one point he goes, like, would you rather just hear, like, the thudding of boots and yeah. the sound of men breathing? <laughs> yeah, and, like, his little thought process of... Uh thinking about a way to read a book in the tub and and when Kurt Russell's kind of gives him an idea and he's amazed by just the simplicity of the idea that is very Carl, Carl Pilkington-esque you know okay and I do I delight in stuff like that because so many people will look at that kind of conversation as nonsense mm. but one Kurt Russell's character completely indulges him in it which I think is very sweet yeah but that's also like that's life life is the tiny things the little things that we all share together i know we all want to talk about like big picture ideas and philosophies and all that sort of stuff but like if you really get down to it, it's just like how do you bathe yourself how do you how do you sleep at night like yeah. these are things that we don't talk about but are like fundamentally important to all of us yeah. and so I, I i do love chicory uh richard jenkins character in this because he's just fascinated by every aspect of life no matter what's presented to him right uh sean you didn't mention in the cast list fred melamed who is only in a couple scenes he plays the the bartender uh, or the tavern owner of the what, you, what is it the learned goat i believe is yeah. the name of the, the yeah. tavern yeah. which is a great name <laughs> um but i i started a, ba- a bakery from home in san francisco called the crooked goat and i thought that was or sorry the lonely goat uh-huh and then I thought that was very unique. Apparently, adjective goat businesses oh, are no, that's... very popular. We have a crooked goat brewery uh-huh. here. Um, there's like blank goat everything business. Yeah, we've got a, a soap maker here, I think. It's some, something goat. Well, yeah. I told my roommate at the time that I wanted to call my bakery from home Lonely Ghost Bakery. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great. Lonely goat. And I said, <laughs> no, I said ghost. And she's like. Yeah, but goat's better. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah goat is better, actually. <laughs> I would have gone with ghost. But uh, the the one, is there a weakness in this cast to you guys? Because I definitely have someone who sticks out a little bit for me. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I have a weak, I have someone that I think is a weakness, but I don't hate him. Yes. But, but Matthew Fox seems to me not of the time. I have the same thing, but with uh, Patrick Wilson. Yeah, Patrick Wilson is is really? a close is a close second. He's I like I like both of those. I like both of those guys. Mm-hmm. And but and Patrick Wilson is is kind of like, um, I I think I don't know why he did. Yeah, but him and Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox is almost a little too clean 
Mm-hmm. Like his face looks like he's had too many um beauty masks or something. Like he's just he looks too clean to be a frontier looking. He's not a frontier looking guy. Yes. So that, okay, that it's it's Saturday night. I'm feeling aggressive. Okay. You both are flat wrong about Matthew Fox in this movie. This is the best Matthew Fox well, I've seen since like Matthew Fox did I'm not the last say, run. And I'm I know not, like he I'm not saying Matthew I don't Fo- like him or I don't even not that I don't like his delivery. I just something is not I guess it's because the other guys are so good around him and they kind of like, you, they outshine him. So are you talking about the way his character's written? No. Or his his no, costume? What, no. What uh, what are you getting at? He's not as believable as the other people in his role. Certain like people his have an air awesome. they have an air of modernity about them. Mm. And okay, I, do you guys do you guys know Pinkertons? The the detective? Yeah, like the rich the ri- what like that's, the rich that's people. How in the see, that's how I see that's how I see Matthew Fox yeah. in this movie. Is yeah. he's he's a Pinkerton. He yeah. has that white suit. Yeah. He's dressed up fancy. And yeah. yeah, he thinks he has of the, himself uh, fancy. He tells German. them that he's the most intelligent man in the yeah. group. Oh, clearly, and, yeah. Like, I this is this seems like a very educated, fancy pants man yeah. who also had the trauma of losing his family at ten years old mm-hmm. to a Native American attack, and then has gone on a vendetta his whole life and has completely broken his heart and spirit and soul. But I by this performance and we'll get into some details later but there's certain moments that i'm i'm pretty amazed by his performance yeah. and the amount of emotions that he's conveying at one point mm-hmm. at one that one yeah point no in time. i i i agree like i said i'm not saying he did a terrible job i'm just saying he's just a little bit in my opinion not as up to speed or par as the other guy and and also it, it could saying... be strictly appearances as well yeah, saying he's like not Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell in a Western level. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, outside of the cast of Deadwood, I haven't seen anybody deliver mouthfuls of ridiculous Western, overly flowery dialogue like yeah. this yeah. and make it so believable as Kurt Russell does in this movie. Yeah. yeah. So I listened to the Tobolowsky Project, Stephen Tobolowsky's podcast. <clears throat> he's an incredible storyteller. I highly recommend that yeah. podcast. And I've only watched the pilot of Deadwood, but if you're, that has kind of this vibe, right? Because yes. I, I feel like I, I feel like I need to watch Deadwood because yeah. I am all about this vibe here. Yeah, yeah, I've I've watched Deadwood. I've I saw all of Deadwood. I I enjoyed it very much. But yeah, it's a it's western for sure. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, wordy than this movie. I think this movie. Uh, Plays on a lot of the silence of the of the of the you know the home front of the frontier and stuff and you know the conversations is is minimal I feel like a lot of times in this movie um, but Deadwood's very very uh, loquacious in general just the whole show. There's a lot of Richard Jenkins rambling. Yeah. And Justin, as you alluded to earlier, I I I wanted to bring up: is there a score? Until about that's what I was gonna say too. A hundred minutes into this movie, I don't. I think uh, there's uh, it's minimal in the beginning. There might be some strings and stuff, but it's like there's a big piece of score that comes in mm. really, really late. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's. 
I, I, I didn't take note of anything. I don't think there's a single piece of music between those points. So I know it's, it's way, I don't want to get way too far ahead and maybe I should hold on, but the whole sequence of them when beyond the point of no return, when they walk through that little crevice and they're, and they're about to head in there's it's just so quiet and mm-hmm. there's no mute and there's no music. And all you can hear is their footsteps and the wind blowing and an arrow coming and hitting or, or a rock being rock hitting the ground and grunts and stuff. It's just so effective for me. It's like, it's just so cool. These both were wonderful to watch on a 5.1 system. Yeah. To get the back, the back speakers popping with the atmospheric noises. Yeah. The, um, not only there's no music, there's a lot of sound design in this yeah. movie that when they actually do cut to silence, because I believe there's one moment during uh, a violent altercation where something surprising happens and the way they keep it surprising is they totally cut out all the sound for yeah. a second. And it just like, like it like took my breath away for a second. Yeah. I was like, <gasps> you know, all the, the Atmos was gone and you were yeah. just like left with this. And it was so yeah. precisely done. I'm amazed. This movie was shot in three weeks. Like wow. really? Yes. Wow. That's amazing. That's surprising. To me. Yeah. That's amazing. Those guys must've came. They, they must've came prepared, huh? Yeah. And, but once again, I think you had, uh, a, a cast this stacked of people who, you know, uh, come from backgrounds of doing this forever yeah, <laughs> or have having done big shows where they're just like working all the time. I think that they were ready to just roll with it, which seems right. awesome. Yeah. So you guys ready to get into this? Oh yeah. Let's do it. So like we said, we started with Sid hanging, Sid Haig and David Arquette. Arquette's trying to slit a dude's throat with a uh, dull knife. Uh, They've clearly murdered some travelers. And then they hear some horses coming. And the horses are... uh, Maybe they heard the gunshot that was fired, but they need to get out of there. And so they run, and um, they run, and there's a burial ground, essentially. There's skulls on the walls. They hear, as one of them puts out, an ominous musical gust of wind, which I, I thought was a really great little piece of like detail. But the two of them, Sid Haig and David Arquette, bouncing back and forth off each other, it, it's really delightful mm-hmm. because these guys are both so funny. I like the, the whole exchange of uh, when they hear the wind and it definitely has another sound with it and they kind of build that through the sound design uh, where... At first, when you when you're hearing it, you're not quite sure. Mm. You're like, "What?" And you, I would think in a five point one, I would almost look around like mm. they do. Um, and just the fact that they call that out, and he's like, "That's not no gust unless it learned a musical instrument." Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's so such a good see, line. Uh, they cross onto the burial ground because they're trying to get away. Sid Haig assures. Arquette that everything's gonna be fine. I also take note that Sid Haig, I guess, is named Buddy, and I didn't catch that until I looked at the credits. Oh, okay. Even later. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Sid Haig takes an arrow to the neck before somebody pops out of the bushes and eviscerates him, and you see his guts fly before we get a cut to black and 
uh, 11 days later. Is this where we get... Where, where well, that was like an, another from? little part of like the sound design there of the troglodyte. Just the running. You don't see anything. You just hear those running footsteps come mm-hmm. boom, 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 and then whack with the tongue. Like, it's just... Yeah. It's so... It's so masterfully done to in my opinion. It was just like I was at this point, like I was talking about before with the opening of the I was like, Oh, this is gonna be too gory, but when it, it just ended up like that, the cold open kinda when it ended up when it ended with the footsteps approaching and, and the uh slaying of Sid Haig, I was like, Oh man, that really that was really uh well done. I think the more and more I watch horror movies, the more you realize how important subtle sound design is yeah especially with like the foley artist and if that's not right the movie is not gonna feel right and they add so much tension and suspense to things and that's all done in post yeah that's time and again i noticed in both these movies that so much there's whole sequences built up of people looking around and not seeing anything yeah. and hearing little creaks and sounds and either the, the chittering sounds or like the kind of hoot sounds that the troglodytes make like, yeah. and that's it. Like that's the whole sequence. I'm like, that's so brilliant. Yeah. I just love that kind of filmmaking uh, to be on display like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's 11 days later, we see Arthur played by Patrick Wilson. who's laid up in bed with a broken leg and he's, he's sour about it. He is bitter. He was supposed to go out on a cowboy job of some sort, but instead he has to stay home with his incredibly pretty wife. <laughs> like, what a trade. Oh, this this poor guy yeah. who has his deflated ego, uh-huh. who now has to spend time with his supermodel wife yeah. as they hang out in she's, she's right hope of all towns. True Detective. She was in True Detective season one. That's Can I just knowing. say, oh, okay. all the women in both these movies are extremely attractive. Yeah. Yes. That's just kind of a theme for the <laughs> night. Yes. <laughs> it's a Saturday night. We can say it. <laughs> uh, we cut to David Arquette digging a hole to hide something on the outskirts of town. Uh, and then next we get, we're at the local tavern. And I love the interaction with uh, the character of Bruder, played by Matthew Fox, and the piano player. Yes. Oh, this is wonderful dialogue. So yeah, it's it's a song for three cents. What is it? Two for Just, five, two, and then three, three for three two. for ten. Yes. And, but as the piano player puts it, I get tired after two songs, so the third one costs extra. <laughs> that's that's. Brilliant, man. The uh, so piano good. player, I don't know if it's the same actor, but he looks like the principal from Back to the Future. And I think it's him, but I didn't check. The guy who calls Marty McFly slacker. a slacker? Yes. Slacker. Really? Yeah. So, after this, we cut to the sheriff's office, and we have Kurt Russell, who's playing um, Sheriff Franklin Hunt. And Kurt Russell has a wonderful mustache slash stubble beard combination mm-hmm. yeah i i really like this look for kurt russell and it's like you said he did this for santa claus and for hateful eight so this look clearly worked for him and he made millions off of it over the course <laughs> of maybe a year or something and uh kurt russell's making soup in a in what looks like a coffee pot yeah. chicory comes in played by richard jenkins who is an old man who is his 
uh, assistant deputy. <laughs> and it's like right off the bat. He's so fucking good in everything he's in. Yes. I, I, Richard Jenkins is hilarious and doddering yeah. and slightly philosophical and sweet. Yeah. And I, I don't know. He really steals a lot of the scenes from this movie. Yep. I agree. That's and the thing is, I always think of him as like a dad role or um, his role in Burn After Reading as like the head of the, the CIA or whatever, the uh, NSA. And I think of him in those types of roles or in uh, wasn't he in uh, Cabin, uh, Cabin in the Woods as well? Yes, he was. As soon as you said, it, yeah, he's one. He's all opposite the guy from uh, West Wing. Yes. Yeah. Billy Matt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know his name. When are we? When are we going to cover a movie like Billy Madison on the show, Josh? <laughs> I mean, we're getting there with uh, with uh, Connie in a couple of weeks. Pretty close. Oh, that is true. Yeah, Justin, we're gonna. We haven't paired a movie yet, but we're gonna be talking Strange Brew. With oh, Connie. nice, nice. <laughs> what would you pair with Strange Brew? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I was thinking like. I, I need to watch it again, but yeah. I was going silly along the lines of like a naked gun or something, but I, I don't think that's right. That was my first idea, naked gun, but it seemed like it didn't seem exactly, but I don't know. How do you guys work the pairings? Does it have, does it have to, is it supposed to be very similar or similar themes or? No, so it's, this is a good question. So today pairing these two movies, Bone Tomahawk and The Descent, it was, in the end, we kind of thought about like the idea of you know going into the earth, going into the cave system. Although mm-hmm. Bone Tomahawk does not go as deep as I remembered into yeah. the caves, um, but sometimes it's a tone thing where it's just these movies have a similar vibe. Other times, one feels like a sequel to the other with Stalker and Annihilation. Yeah. So there's not there's not a set rule with us. Yeah. So it might just be that Strange Brew and another movie have a similar irreverent sense of humor, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, and now, you know, we've been talking to our guests beforehand to try to work out what movie. And Justin, I know you are also, as I am, a huge Descent fan. So as soon as you brought up Bone Tomahawk, it was like the Descent made a lot of sense to pair it with also because I just really wanted to talk about the descent especially with <laughs> yeah. someone who's as into it as i am yeah yeah um a few months ago i was watching the descent with my friend and justin just popped onto discord and we told him what scene we were on he's like oh yeah so um this just happened and she just said this <laughs> yeah. and now this is gonna happen and like he just knew like almost shot for shot he knew the descent as we just <laughs> described it to him that's amazing uh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. After this, we cut to uh, Patrick Wilson and his wife having sex. I do like that they they think it's weird, obviously, that she's riding on top of him because of his broken leg. Mm-hmm. And at one point she says, like, or he says, can we do this the, the r- right way? The right way, yeah. <laughs> uh, at it was the, a different time. It was a different time. <laughs> uh, at the tavern, um, uh, and I don't know, they call him Curtis later, I think, but his listed name is Purvis in the credits. 
but David Arquette is in the the tavern, and uh, Kurt Russell shows up. Uh, David Arquette tries to make a run for it, and Sheriff Kurt shoots him in the leg and drags him out of the bar. Like, and as soon as he moves, he gets popped. I I loved there, that. Yeah, there's some great dialogue in the scene, and the dialogue in this movie is so over the top. And I think that's one reason that I love it is I I have no idea. I doubt there's any way people actually talk like this <laughs> in real life. But Arquette tells Kurt Russell that. Uh, oh, my name's Buddy. And Kurt Russell goes, you're pretty angry for a guy named Buddy. <laughs> and he responds, you've been squirting lemon juice in my ass since you came in here. Mm. That's an amazing thing to say to someone. That lemon juice. Like, I, I want to keep that line in my pocket for the next time someone starts <laughs> mad-dogging me. I'm like, you squirting lemon juice in my ass since you walked in this place. That's my favorite was uh, from the following morning when uh, they go knocking on Kurt Russell's door uh, and he goes, uh, what are you doing in my breakfast? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> like, it's so good. It's just it's it, it makes sense within the context, too. Yeah. And I was like, that's a badass line. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of lines like that that, that don't sound like any way that I've heard anyone talk, but. As far as I'm concerned, they talked like that back then. I think Deadwood's probably maybe more accurate. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, it makes me think of my buddy Cameron. Uh, when we were on a shoot one time, uh, we were up on a ranch in Kentucky, and uh, we, were, we were all hungry. And he's like, yeah, I'm, go, I'm about to go back up to the house and lay some cornbread and beans on my belly. And I was <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> Laying them on your belly. I don't know where that came from, but I like, he's a Texan, so he's yeah, got a weird way yeah. of talking anyway. Yeah. That's I like a it. hell of a thing to say. Mm-hmm. I don't like that because I'm picturing the scene from Hot Shots where <laughs> he cooks an egg on her, on her stomach. stomach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Marquette, um, the drifter takes off. Kurt Russell shoots him in the leg. And... Um, now we get Matthew Fox, who goes to retrieve um, Mrs. O'Dwyer, mm-hmm. played by Lily Simmons. Simmons. And um, so she leaves. Uh, she's redressing Patrick Wilson's wound. At this point, by the way, he clearly has broken his leg because he fell off of a roof that he was up working on during a rainstorm. Um, also, he's the foreman. That means, like, I, I took it that he was working construction, Justin. Well, he's a cowboy. Uh, he's a cowboy. But what's a cowboy foreman? Oh, he's probably just in charge. He's the boss, probably. I would. I, th- think, I he- think working on the homestead in between jobs. Yeah, between- it was in between cowboy uh, oh, okay. excursion. Um, yeah, he's working at his own d- house. Anyway, she's dressing his wound. And at this point, the fear for me of getting wounded or sick in the old west Mm -hmm. is a terrifying prospect because you see that there's no cast on the leg Mm -hmm. so dude's just got a broken leg that's just dangling Mm -hmm. water is the only source of of cleansing the wound Mm -hmm. it's not dressed well it's just this whole proposition is scary as all hell man that's and it looked like it was a compound fracture because he's got a big old like cut yes. down the down the his tibia, mm. uh, which just seems intense. Uh, 
and later when they have to reset it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. O'Dwyer goes to extract the bullet. And as she's doing so, we get a cutaway of Patrick Wilson reading a letter that he gave to his wife that was supposed to be poetry. Yeah. And there there was one line that I really liked where he said uh, something along the lines of, you give me the warm in the center of my core that the cold can't take away. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to use that you, one. I mean, you guys are both married. You guys ever write notes like that to your wives? I, once upon a time. That's how I got her. And mm. then you stopped? You got to parcel it out. You can't do that every day. <laughs> like, that would just I mean, yeah, escalate. I, 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 you're talking to a guy who's barely been in a relationship, so please do not listen to my critique. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just recently wrote Nicole a song. I've been, I've been married for 13 years, and I knew her for years before that. I never wrote her a song. And then I, oh. I wrote her a song for her birthday, and it was like a huge thing. But I, I, I was holding on to that. You know, I was putting that in my pocket for when I... Yeah, I don't, I, well, that song it it's on YouTube in your daughter's sing yeah, background they sing, with it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, Justin, they, that they song get... made me cry. Man. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. That was just. I love making people cry. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just the most like genuinely sweet thing, and yeah, I, it is so heartwarming and fulfilling. And yeah, it was to cool. see your daughters there celebrating their mom. And yeah, yeah, you, it was, it, yeah, uh, it was fun. It's just a really special thing. Yeah, it was. But I don't write poetry. I used to. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mrs. O'Dwyer is able to take the bullet out of his leg. She gives him a tincture of opium. There's weird noises outside. And we get the stable boy who's uh, going to go check on the barn because the horses are screaming and mm -hmm. stuff. And he gets some kind of weapon. It's a slasher movie. Part, right through yeah. his skull yeah. from the front through the back and it's so fast like it happens that he stands there and i love that the timing of this is it feels so deliberate because with the second i was expecting the kill the kill doesn't happen it happens a beat later yeah. it's like they just hold it for that extra beat and then when it happens, it's so quick. And it reminded me of like something from uh, Alien, where it's just savage and fast, and it feels feral and and dangerous. Yeah, this yeah, move totally. the the violence in this movie feels sudden, like it did in Blue Ruin, where I it it comes when I don't feel it coming. Um, oftentimes with jump scares and stuff, as us being horror fans, we can spot and tell when they're telegraphed that jump scare when the camera's framed just right so that you got your character in the foreground and the first third on the left, and then you got the two right thirds are dark and something's gonna jump out. But this movie sets up so many essentially jump scares, but they're jump scares of violence, and almost all of them catch me off guard. Mm. Yeah, it's not like the cat comes and knocks over some cans and then runs out of the frame. It is, you know, uh, a bone tomahawk in your in your neck, cutting your neck yeah. open. <laughs> yeah. Um, we cut to Patrick Wilson waking up in the morning. His bed is empty. Um, the bartender shows up to the sheriff's office and tells Kurt Russell that the stable boy is dead. All right, hold on now. Hold on, Sean. All the horses are gone. Yes, 
Please uh, bring it in. The her his wife is making fry bread. Mm-hmm. Oh, I I I, so, I have questions about this. I've never I, I was going to ask you. You're the you're the you're Sean well, of the I, bread. I was talking to people about this today. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's it it's. What the hell is it? Uh, well, no, but she was dicing onions like and peppers, it looked like. And so the only thing I can think is that it's like a savory pancake. Mm. Um, I, th- I think... But it's a, nat- it's a Native American food that I think was passed to the settlers, and I don't... I'm very curious. Okay. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, you can have it like a taco, or with stuff kind of in suspended in the dough. Like the onions and stuff, but I don't know. After watching enough British Bake Off, oh you, yeah, yeah, you understand like okay, the, but, the danger of putting too many moist things inside your dough before you yeah. bake it. Yeah, but a, a savory pancake, which you then fold to be a soft taco filled mm-hmm. with eggs and breakfast potatoes. That sounds that sounds pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah. I'll sign up for that. Also, yeah. a lot of times when I think these things sound good. By the time you get all these ingredients together and you mash them all together into one single bite, it's like you don't taste anything because mm-hmm. it's all just a giant conglomeration of yeah. texture and flavor and you, you lose all the subtlety of the food. Yeah, uh, Justin, I do like that you called out Sean. Like, there, there's a bread in this. We need to know some bread details, yes. Sean. I made a uh, note of that. I made okay. sure I brought it up. I I said he'll definitely know. For sure I, he'll know. His name's Sean of the Bread. <laughs> but I really meant are. to do more research before this episode started. I was going to watch the behind-the-scenes featurettes. <laughs> I watched the commentary track for The, de- the Descent, like, yeah. tw- 10, 12 years ago. Um... But then I ended up watching both movies back to back from like 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. this morning. Yeah. And it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) So, um. So she's making fry bread. Yes. And the the bartender shows up and Kurt Russell says, what are you doing on my breakfast? (laughs) Uh, And he reports that not only has the stable boy been killed. Uh, when he went to the police office, the sheriff's office, to find help, no one was there, not even their prisoner, uh, Purvis, David Duchovny, or David Duchovny, David Arquette. <laughs> what am I thinking? I was going to say, I, I missed him. That would be amazing. Uh, sheriff and Assistant Deputy Chicory, or Backup Deputy Chicory, go to check out the stable, and not finding anyone, they move on to the sheriff's station, where they find a really weird-looking arrow lodged in the wall. And all I could think when I saw that was with all the extra accoutrements like around the arrowhead, that would suck to get shot with that thing. Yeah. Like if it got lodged in you instead of the wall and yeah, it's It's an unnatural arrow. Yeah. (laughs) It it looks like it's been whittled from like a a bird's rib cage or something like with how twisted and oddly shaped it is. Yeah. But you just imagine getting shot with that thing and like, it's not coming out. No, it looks like it would corkscrew into you uh, and would rip flesh coming out. So they head over to tell Arthur that his wife has been taken. uh, And he immediately, like, he looks like hell already. And he wants to tear ass taken off looking for these people. They all head for the tavern to talk over the plans with the rest of the townsmen. 
and apparently everyone in the town shows up, uh, including the professor. And I love this character. This is his only scene, but he's played by Zahn McLarnon, uh, who was in uh, Longmire, if anybody likes that show. Uh, also, he had a prominent role in season two or three of Fargo. Season the two. The TV series. Yeah, he played Hansi. And he was, he was excellent on that. Uh, he was in the second season of Westworld as well. And Oh, man, that was... By far the best episode yes. was the one that he was heavily featured in. Yeah, the, In a shitty season, that episode was excellent. Yep, they named the, the episode after his character. Like, he was a background character, kind of, until that point, and then he's the main character of that episode, and it's so good. Uh, and lately, he's been on Reservation Dogs. Have either one of you guys checked that out on Hulu? No, I haven't. I have... Yes, not... <laughs> I have downloaded it, but I have not watched it. There, I've confessed to being a shitty, shitty pirate. <laughs> so, so, and also to not having watched the show. That's even worse. That's a, that's a twofer. You've I've stolen it, it and, and I haven't, haven't even it. bothered to then watch it. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a very good show and they're like 28 minute episodes. So you can burn through them pretty quick. It's good, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very charming. And he's, he plays a character unlike I've seen him play before. He does comedy in it and he his timing is spot on he's so funny so the professor tells the others that the arrow came from a group uh not a tribe not they're not uh, native americans he like repeats this over and over uh but he calls them the troglodytes uh and they have no culture and no language they're cannibals and rapists like, They're inbred and they eat their own so mothers. As you're yes. lo- talking, I was I'm looking up troglodytes on Wikipedia to see if they're real. Yeah, I'm also concerned that troglodyte is somehow well, offensive, in a, like an it, offensive word, yeah. or so, like I I don't know. Like it says troglodyte, uh, Greek, where people mentioned in various locations by many ancient Greek and Roman geographers and historians, but it basically means cave goers. Is the tran- translation? Okay. okay. Well, all right. All right. Well, we officially right here and now claim ignorance if <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if this sure, is yeah. a shitty word, but uh we're going to keep using troglodyte because yeah. I have the the four letter word trog written about 25 times in my notes as <laughs> Me we too. Move forward from here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um he doesn't want to show them that the Native American guide who knows the area he doesn't want to show them where they are, not because of loyalty or anything like that, but just because he doesn't want himself to get killed just in the process of going near these people. Yeah, it um, seems pretty clear that if you even go into their land, uh, and I believe it's the sheriff that asks him, like, how many of them are there? And he's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're so savage, they will kill you no matter how many of them there are or how many you are. Yeah. At this point, Sheriff says, Mr. O'Dwyer and I are going because there's no choice. Chicory says he's in. Matthew Fox says he got her involved to get the bullet removed. So now he has an obligation. That's, uh, I really like how the guys, uh, Sheriff, Chicory, Arthur, and Bruder all head out. And very quickly, they do the, the scene from lord of the rings that this is the furthest i've ever been from home like three of the men have never been further from town 
Yeah. And they're in uncharted territory, at least headed westward of the town. They're like, nobody really knows what they're getting into. And I felt such danger from from that point already. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, it, it could be really close to, to town. No yeah. wonder the the troglodytes felt like they could just come in and swoop in and take people. Yeah. Matthew Fox talks shit about Chicory's horse. What does he say? That's like, that's an ugly horse. Yeah. Oh, it's the yeah. least handsome horse. I've that's what he seen. says. Yeah. He says yeah. not very handsome or something. Mm hmm. So they go to get the horse's water. I feel like, like at this point, you know that as a, as the viewer, you know these guys are headed into something really, really dangerous, and they're they're out, they're going to be outnumbered, and all this stuff, and it just heightens that tension so much by having this guy who can barely walk. Never mind, like what the hell good is he going to be? You know, that's what you as a viewer you're looking at this, and it just raises the stakes so high. It's like these fucking four guys are going into almost certain death right now. Yeah, now, feel and, the and, weight and, and they realize burden. it. It seems like they realize it too, uh, but they don't have like Kurt Russell says. We don't have any choice, you know. Me and me and um, Dwyer are going. We have no choice, you know. And it's kind you of know, like he's, it's, he's it's very a intense. burden, and he knows he's a burden. Yeah, and you see him again and again try to talk himself through the ways that he's going to be beneficial to the group. Yeah, they. Uh... Is this where they they settle into camp for the first evening, and they yes. they yes. set up the bell the bell trip wire yeah to alert them to any intruders and Bruder tells them to just don't don't look just shoot don't dwaddle or, yeah, no, shoot. that that might be a different power he says don't dwaddle it, that's a shoot thing shoot at anything that rings the bell yeah, yes, yeah. if someone approaches camp in the night without calling out they're a savage or a criminal yeah we talked last week josh about in prince of darkness people napping without blankets yes and the vulnerability of these men just sleeping directly on the ground with no blanket yeah. to protect them from the dangers of the world yeah. i know a blanket doesn't actually offer protection but still like you feel the vulnerability of a cowboy camp yeah. when you're outside of town and how many different things that can go wrong whether it's a weather event or a Native American attack or some criminals attacking or your horses run off like God knows what can happen but you get a feel in this little camp scene of like just sleeping is terrifying yeah. they, they have no pillows that <laughs> I could, I could not be a cowboy. Why you guys have no, no pillows? I'm so soft. Like I have to have at least two pillows. I got to have one on my to, on my yeah. head and one to I hold. Like one in I gotta my hug legs one. Too. Yes. Oh really? See, I'm a head pillow, and then I need a hug pillow. Yeah. yeah. I need one that I can lay on my side and yeah. spoon. Yes. <laughs> as I lie in my empty bed, imagining that it's a beautiful spouse that I've been married to for years. <laughs> Imagining that it's Mrs. O'Dwyer. <laughs> so, um, this is where, yeah, Chicory wonders about reading in the bath. Kurt Russell suggests that he gets a music stand, and this blows his mind. And I, I God, I love that Kurt Russell, again and again, indulges this man's nonsense. Yeah. And yeah. you get such a feel of, like, this, this relationship is so sweet that yeah. the two of them have. Um, they're asleep now. The bell does ring, and Matthew Fox pops up within like a second 
firing at the bells and it sounds like he shoots a coyote that's in like i know it's all in the editing but his movement is so fast uh and i think it sets up his character as having been this uh this warrior who we later find out killed uh, 106 or 110 116 116 that's you know makes sense people not not men just no no of all kinds no he specifically killed native americans because well yes but yes men men, women and children yes anyone who could hold a weapon he killed yeah um again his performance man i I know you guys can't believe you talk shit about it because i feel like this guy has a weight on his soul that he carries around with him and he's just almost like nothing else really matters to him but the vendetta Mm -hmm. and so i don't believe his reasoning that i'm the one that fetched her to remove the bullet so therefore i'm responsible yeah. I I don't buy that reasoning at all from him. I yeah. I think he just wants to go out there and have another reason to do this. Yeah, maybe. I that like totally that. tracks. Yeah. Fox has a telescope and this is where we get introduced a to German. the German. Yeah. <laughs> the German is an important character in this movie. Uh this is at the point where the boys find out that O'Dwyer has opium tincture that he's been taking from his wife's pack and Kurt Russell removes it from him because he does not want him to fall off his horse. That's, uh, and he swears he hasn't used it yet. Um, he's just been kind of bearing the pain because, uh, he's a stupid man, much like many of us might be. And would rather go through the pain than actually utilize something to, to help alleviate it. Um, I say this after having just gotten, a steroid shot in my toe because I have arthritis now. And that is the state of the world as a 42 year old man. These things happen. (laughs) I just had a steroid. I just had a shot in my heel. So you're in good company. I'm sorry. I hear, I hear foot things are extremely, um, annoying and painful. Yeah. So I've plantar fasciitis and it becomes pretty bad. I'm on my feet all day at work, and it just gets gets. But these shots help. Justin, what kind of boots do you wear? Um, Red Wings, uh, Red Wing work boots. Yeah, classic. Red Wings. Do, do you have an insert in them? Yeah, that's the other thing. I went to. Uh, I went to the uh, podiatrist whose mother used to bang Peter Falk, which I don't know. Did I tell you guys? That? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know he's trustworthy. <laughs> I had a Columbo shirt on when I went in there, and he was like, well, he didn't want to fit my feet for these molds, because he's like, they're really expensive, he was discouraging me and everything. And then he saw my shirt, and he said, oh, that's a cool shirt, you know, my mother used to date him, and this and that, and then so he got, that really lit him up, and then afterwards, he was like, let's, let's get you fitted for those molds, huh? <laughs> that shirt really works wonders. Well, yeah, I, I can't got, wait I to have see very what the costume does for you. Yeah, I know. I have very expensive molds coming. In my boots. But insurance oh, covers. Good. Good, this good, is, good. Sorry, this is not it. No, this is the show, man. <laughs> we talk about our ailments. <laughs> I, my neighbor, I was working on a house project with him, and he's like, 
oh yeah, you can get like steel toe boots at Walmart for thirty five bucks. I wore those, and it was like flat cardboard on the bottom with yeah, the steel yeah. yep. toe, and they immediately started disintegrating as I wore them on my feet. Yeah, and now they're outdoor on my Halloween mannequin. Nice. As I have a one of the killers from Year Next. Oh, I saw that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I built a mannequin out of PVC pipe, so I that's on my that, front yeah. lawn now. With it's it's wearing Walmart boots. I have um, I suffer from sleep paralysis. I haven't had it in a while because I've been taking stuff to help me sleep. But when I when I don't when I don't take my sleep aid stuff, it's pretty much a surefire. I'll have a sleep paralysis incident. Now, if I ha- and I have hallucinations that there's someone in the room standing in the corner of the room, like rocking back and forth. Now, if I had built something, a mannequin like you have, Sean, I'd, I think I'd be too terrified to have it in the house out of out of fear of it coming to into me in my sleep paralysis. I, I want- had to lay it down because yeah. just walking by it in the daytime, yeah, was disconcerting, yeah. and it felt unsettling to me to have a life size mannequin standing in my house as I'd walk by yeah. it. It felt like I was going to bring life to this mystical, magical, yeah. terrible thing, and it was going to kill it's me. All, it's it's fascinating how, you know, you did it yourself. You know it's completely fake, but it still is, to set it, to set it up in the same room as you, it still is too scary. <laughs> it pretty- made it worse that it was my creation because all of a sudden it's like, I'm going to be killed by my yeah. own creation. Like, my own hand is yeah. going to be my downfall. Like, sleep paralysis, one of the common things is people feel like something's sitting yeah. on their chest. I have all those. I have a bunch of different versions of it. And when did this start? Like, what, what was your first episode with sleep paralysis like? The first time I ever got it that I remember, it was, um, I stopped drinking uh, a while back. And it was kind of early on in that stage that I first got it. And then I've had it periodically over the years. And then um, I take like a mild sleep uh, aid type of thing. And when my children were born uh, and I had to, me and my wife switched off nights with the baby, I did not take the sleep aid because I wanted to be able to wake up if the baby needed me, you know? And those nights were like every single night I would have, it. and it would be, uh, I'd be drifting to, off to sleep. It usually happens for me when I'm about to fall asleep. I know it can happen when you're waking up as well, but your, your brain kind of is in the, uh, the REM stage of sleep. And, and, and in that stage of sleep, your body naturally gets paralyzed so that you don't act out your dreams. So your, your body is paralyzed, but and you're and you're in that dream state, but you're conscious that you're conscious that you're uh, you're not like you're conscious that you're paralyzed, basically. And because you're conscious that you're paralyzed and your your mind is awake, you immediately panic and you feel helpless and vulnerable. And then a lot of hallucinations that come with that because you are in some sort of half dream state and you feel helpless and vulnerable, and your brain automatically goes to a to goes to like uh there I must be in trouble because I can't move so then I must be in trouble and I I have had demons sitting on my chest I have had most often just the thought that there is someone in the room that that is that wants to harm me in some way and I've also had hallucinations that I can actually see a shadow person 
in the corner of the room, kind of rocking back and forth, uh, side to side type of thing. And it's all very, very terrifying. But yeah, so I have diff- all different But then they have been, when you have it enough, if you have it enough, you can kind of, uh, you can uh, maneuver your way into like a vivid type of dreaming where you are aware of what's happening and you become hyper aware of it and then you're able to kind of do this stuff and you dream anything you want to do in your dream you can kind of make yourself do so it's kind of like a living dream you know if you want to fly you can just fly you know what i mean so so, it, so you that kind nightmare of, on elm street part three dream warrior yourself yeah, basically yeah <laughs> which which i i've been able to do that a couple times but I take my sleep aids now, so when I don't, so I don't, doesn't happen I, as much, you know? Jesus, that sounds terrifying. Are you, compared to the first experience you had with it, the are first you one now was... conscious of, like, when you have your sleep paralysis episode, are you conscious of it being an episode and nothing's real? Yeah, like, I guess I haven't had one in a few years, but I think when it, when it happens, it's still... Initially, it's like your body, I don't know how to explain it. It's like as you're falling asleep, you get like these these rushes, and then you wake up, and then you're like, oh, this is going to happen. And then you kind of drift off to sleep again. Then it can kind of get another rush and wake up because you know that something's going on. You can tell it's going to happen. So it's not always uh, initially clear that everything is fake. You know, I still have that panic and everything. I was never able to master it. I'm not a dream master. Uh, I'm not a nightmare, not a, not nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, four. <laughs> <laughs> well shit man I'm sorry you go through that thanks for sharing that though yeah the documentary called uh, The Nightmare which is by the guy who did the Room 237 um, people have mixed feelings on that movie but I gotta tell you I've never been so scared watching a movie as when I watched that because it was def- I saw that right around the time where it was happening to me all the time and I, I watched that movie, and I like had to turn the lights on. I haven't had to turn the lights on during movies since I was a little kid. It's very true. All the stuff those people talk. About. So, and- Isn't that wild? That I feel like there's when people dismiss everything as random scientific events or whatever, but we have so many shared experiences or shared hallucinations. Or- yeah. You talk to people who smoke DMT. Yes, I've heard this. They all they all see like little tiny elves that are like machine elves, and like the shared trips that we all have. Yeah, I I I feel like there's some validation in that, and I don't want to sound like a nut job conspiracy theorist or whatever, but just in that like shared consciousness kind of way of like we're all so similar. That yeah. even when we go through this weird shit, it's still stuff that we've all, or not we've all been through, but other people have experienced. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So an- another reason that we're, all, we're not all that different, and you yeah. sh- everyone should be nicer to each other, because yeah. we're all going through the same shit here. Yeah. You shouldn't dress in, like, threatening death metal t-shirts, and you should just be <laughs> nice to each other. <laughs> Speaking of being threatening, don't fucking sneak up onto a man's camp when they're sleeping that night, because that's what two men do, unfortunately, and everyone pops up, and Matthew Fox is pointing a gun at them, 
Kurt Russell demands that they light a match. And I love that of like, light a match so I can see her face. <laughs> and then they, these two guys are both holding these long matches. And just the visual of that and the shot looks so cool with that dark, dark background. Yeah. Um, Very cool. And then Matthew Fox, they, they, the guys, one of them puts his gun down. The other says he's unarmed. And then Matthew Fox almost immediately shoots each guy twice. Yeah. With seemingly no reason whatsoever. You know what, though? I, I, I'm glad he did. And I, and I feel like, as a person watching the movie, it's like, don't trust these guys. They're clearly not, they cannot be good. Right? And they do. And yeah. One of the guys says, like, I, I was be, about be, be, to announce myself. But yeah. as we heard, learned before, nobody mm. approaches a camp at yeah. night without... Which, hooting and hollering yeah. from a long way off like those guys were up to no good i i agree and as we see throughout the course of this movie you know matthew fox says oh they were they were a scouting party for a larger party towards the end yeah. Kurt russell says i still don't know how that which way that would have gone had we not killed those guys yeah and um yeah the fact that they're approaching in the night, yeah, and the only thing that gave them away was, I believe, a a branch snapping or something, yeah. Um, but still, of once again, the <laughs> old west for the amount of people who like romanticize it and think it was such like a free time of like beautiful open range and stuff, <laughs> the old west seems fucking Dreadful. terrifying yeah. and horrible, very uncomfortable. They don't have pillows. <laughs> <laughs> I need a pillow between my legs all right, at all times. Yeah. At other... all times. Whether I'm in bed or not, I would. I like <laughs> it messes up Although, my hips if, otherwise. If you, if you had a wife like Lily Simmons, I don't know. I might do. I might trade that off. Yeah, I might be okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does mention uh, early on that she buys lots of pillows for their bed. Yes. Which I thought was cute because it just shows uh even in the town like this tiny town they're much more civilized than they are yeah. you know even 15 minutes outside of the town there's li literally nothing for them yeah and you, the you're roughing it like they're roughing it the most roughing it you can get yeah you know when you play tag as a kid and you have home base and then as soon as you step foot off home base you feel vulnerable mm -hmm. yeah this is like the feeling that i get from the West in this movie is that I mean, and even when you're in town, you're not safe, but the second you step foot off of town, every time you close your eyes to take a nap or go, or go to sleep or anything, there's danger on every single corner. Mm -hmm. So the guys uh, pack up and move their camp to someplace where they haven't built a fire. Uh, so just in case the men were part of a raiding party, and no sooner are they all asleep than they're ambushed. So, yeah, apparently they should have, you know, shot more people. Uh, Bruder takes a knife to the shoulder, which, I mean, Matthew Fox is like kind of a scrawny looking dude, but he is looks rough and burly with this blood pouring down him for the rest of the movie. And I love that mm -hmm. uh, the bandits managed to get the horses away from the men, uh, except for. Matthew Fox's horse. Uh, what's her name? Sassy? 
something like that. Like, all right, um, this part made me cry. Yeah, and this is also one of the moments where I'm like, Matthew Fox is bringing it yeah. because mm-hmm. Matthew Fox is being a tough guy who clearly has almost zero emotion except for his horse. And so you see him swallow it. Mm-hmm. You see like grief wash over his face before he's able to then like take a breath and swallow it and put a tough facade on. And he tells his horse, thank you for your service before yeah. he shoots her. And yeah, it was very, um, this very just, yeah. it, it, it broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And this was one of two moments. There's another Fox moment later that I know which really, one, but... really sold me on him <clears throat> in this movie. And, you know, I, I watched, did you guys watch Lost? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I, finish it. I watched the first season. Okay, I have not rewatched Lost since it aired. And I don't know if I ever will. But I will. That was a great show. I know that it didn't mean anything. <laughs> it was all nonsense. Yeah. But the ride that that show took us on, I know so many people wanted a destination, but yeah. I was cool with just the ride itself being it. Yeah. Um, but man, I'm I'm bummed that Matthew Fox is not in more stuff post that because mm-hmm. um, I really buy him in this, and he brings like a ton of gravitas to this character. He's probably the best in the whole movie. <laughs> Shut up, Justin. Hey, what you could uh, get wa- your face out of here. <laughs> you could get uh, old DVDs of Party of Five. Is he you- in that? Oh, yeah. Really? Mm. Did he have the good Hodgkins? I don't know. That's a Curb Your Enthusiasm joke. Uh, no, it's this old show. Old, kind of cheesy show. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. anyway. Uh, the posse packs up their gear what they can carry and they say they're going to they say they're going to bury the rest uh which is just <laughs> crazy to me because it, like you need a whole bunch of shit to live just the fact when they're sitting around at the campfire and they're eating beans off of plates mm-hmm. I'm like each one of those plates weighs something mm-hmm. and the forks and the cups and the thing to cook it in like everything you have to take all your stuff with you every place you go and that just seems like it just blows my mind that we yeah. ever they're 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 that. eating high calorie foods like cheese and nuts yes and that's and then i like that later chicory says i uh, in your squirrel sack i I put some cheese and nuts yeah. in there mm-hmm. for you or something and beef, yeah these guys are surviving on like a, a little bandana of food yeah the stakes are are enormously high they have they're surviving on a little bandana of food. They've got one guy's ready, his legs ready to get cut off. They got no horses. They got some guns. I would say the steaks are really small because they're just eating nuts and cheese. <laughs> but there's not a steak at all. I mean, he missed out on his cowboy job. He had beef. He said beef cobs. That's what it was. cheese and nuts and beef cobs. It's okay. I'm gonna edit that joke out. That never happened. That <laughs> <laughs> no, was good. <laughs> Uh, they all but yeah, on... it's all building up to like these guys. They're just they're just really not not looking. They're kind of a ragtag at this point. Mm-hmm. They got no horses. They got they're gonna have no energy now. They're walking. And... From this point, it's gonna be a two day walk. Yeah. And Patrick Wilson says he's gonna catch up with the other men while they sleep. 
They have to sleep in the heat of the day uh, because they're afraid of getting ambushed again. And once again, this seems like a crazy choice to make. Like sleeping in the middle of the, the hot desert in the middle of the day seems impossible to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just some, looks without gross. Some kind of shade, and yeah. the fact, also, I don't understand how you can be fully hydrated off of one of those little canteens for no. an entire day of travel, because just sitting around the house recording a podcast, I drink about thirty six ounces of water. And look at Patrick Wilson. I love that he's wearing his vest through the whole thing, and there's salt stains from the layers of sweat that have evaporated off of him. I love, yeah, on his back or in his armpits, he gets so gross. It reminded me of my dad when I was a kid would jog in quotations towards the end. But he started as a jogger and it turned into a walk, but he would do like five miles a day. Mm -hmm. And so my mom and I would often pass him on the road as as she was driving me to school. My dad wore like the same outfit almost daily when he would jog. He'd have like tattered shorts where the thighs, the inner thighs were completely blown out. He called that his air conditioning. And then his hat would be so covered in salt that when it dried, it would be as hard as a helmet. Mm -hmm. It just, it would, it would have white oyster markings of like salt waves that had settled into this thing. And my mom, my mom used to just yell at me because like, Mike, People know who you are, and they're going to see you out there running like that. Ah, dad talk. <laughs> yeah, we're not as tough as these guys were, clearly. Like like you're saying, just around the house, you need two liters God, of water. No. just to, You know, and how is Richard Jenkins holding up? Like, he's an old man. Christ. I keep thinking every time these guys, like, kneel down or hunker down around the fire, I'm like, in my comfortable house, if I have to stoop and pick something up, Parts of me hurt, and, you know, I get to sleep in a bed with lots of pillows. It doesn't make any sense. O'Dwyer, Patrick Wilson, catches up with a group as they're making camp. They tell him he can sleep for a few hours before they're going to wake him up. They wake him up, but he's clearly going to be way too slow, so they're going to split up. At this point, Matthew Fox makes a joke, again, as we see earlier, about flirting with his wife when he finds her. And Patrick Wilson punches him in the face. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Anne collapses on his leg and seemingly, like, unsets his bone. And at this point, Matthew Fox, I feel, rightly points out, Hey, I'm out here risking my life to save your wife's life. Maybe I'm afforded a joke every now and then. <laughs> it's still kind of a dick move, though. Yeah, I, I thought he's not entitled to that. Not that kind of joke. Because it would be different if his wife was safe at home and he was joking about his wife, but his wife's clearly kidnapped by these cannibalistic cave dwellers. Fair enough. He did also say that he had made, they had history, because Matthew Fox had made a pass at her yeah. in the years past. So, yeah. all right, fair enough. I'm <laughs> wrong again. Okay, Matthew Fox sucks, and he has no right to make that joke. He's clearly the worst in the movie. Clearly, oh my god, he's you guys terrible. Are crazy. He's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really do like him. I'm just I'm playing into it now. Just... Yeah, you got to. I love it. Someone's got to be a heel on this show. <laughs> uh, the sheriff decides to leave Arthur behind. Just totally. Yeah. Uh, Chicory resets his leg with a hammer. Like... Oh, this is like <laughs> the... when they're preparing for the potential amputation. 
and then Wilson demands that now just reset it, mm-hmm. and then he gets out the hammer of all, like just not no, not a hammer, please. <laughs> and thankfully, in one of the few moments of mercy, this movie cuts to black and does not show us this moment. Did you think they were gonna still gonna cut his leg off though? Because yes, I thought Wilson was going to be on uh, one leg. Yeah, because um. Uh, Chicory talks earlier about a man who only had one leg and he could move really, really fast on his crutches. <laughs> and they point out, yeah, but it's in- it's different when you have an injured leg. Ugh. The, just the his crutch that he uses, like, it looks like Gandalf's staff or something. Like, yeah. you know, we're spoiled with our, like, fancy aluminum crutches or even, like, yeah well put together wooden ones i just keep thinking of the ch- the chafing in his armpit uh from like lugging this oh, thing yeah. across the desert yeah. uh i do uh like when they give him the opium uh tincture and basically tell him that like you're going to be out for a while <laughs> and yeah. everyone just kind of accepts that this poor man is going to be lying in the desert unguarded by himself in the middle of the burning day, just doped out of his mind. Leaving a man in the middle of the desert, tripping out on his brain on opium with a shattered leg. And he'll, he'll wake up and he'll come to and he'll take, well, that's that doesn't sound so bad except for the shattered leg part. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's kind of, that's just Bonnaroo or burning. I mean, Hey, give me some peyote instead of opium. And you've got a date. Uh, so as the guys are heading out, they hear some trog noises in the difference in the distance. Excuse me. Uh, at this point, Matthew Fox kind uh finally kind of admits to some of his past, where he says that uh some weren't men. He's killed women and children because they yeah. were. You know, doesn't matter if they can hold a weapon, they're deadly. And his mom and sisters were. Did you know my mom and sisters? No, exactly. That that can leave a big impact on a 10-year-old boy. Chicory yeah. seems offended and upset by this, but uh, the sheriff just kind of takes it in stride. Yeah. Yeah. After this, Matthew Fox, um, they're surveying the valley where they think the troglodyte camp is. Matthew Fox lets Chicory finally yeah. use the German, Not showing nice that Chicory little, gained, like, gained his respect. Yeah, like, that's to say, like, they have a mutual respect now, and they formed a bond over the last week, few days. Nice little moment. And uh, yeah. so they're, they're on the trail of the horses, they're checking the valleys, and the tracks lead to, like, a cave entrance, there's skulls in the wall, and then this is where we get a big attack. Uh, you guys want to take it away from here. It happens so fast. Like my notes were, it was instant and brutal uh, because the sheriff gets shot with an arrow on the arm. Does trickery, does his hat get shot off his head? Is that what happens? And it like glances off and skins him. Yeah. Something knocks off about a silver dollar sized piece of skin off of his the top of his head yeah and he never pays mind to it like i these guys keep old man yeah 
they get stabbed, they get shot. And uh, in a minute when they're, uh, when Kurt Russell's getting dragged through the, the underbrush, the arrow sticking out of his arm catches on some rocks and actually jabs further into his arm. There's just a quick shot of it. And it's yeah. so gruesome. <laughs> uh, Little stuff like that always gets me when a character has a wound and then they catch the wound on a wall or a rope or whatever. And uh -huh. the little things that you can imagine uh, always feel so much more. So right before they get the shit really hits the fan, they, they, when they find that little cave and Bruder goes through and throws the stone, you know, to mm -hmm. signal them. And then Chicory and the sheriff, they enter that little crevice and it's quiet and you can hear the just footsteps and the camera holds for just an extra beat after they enter that cave and that like had an effect on me too. And it was like a wide shot holding them, you know, and instead of like somebody else, another director maybe would have close ups and, and, and have an orchestra playing right now and close ups of these guys faces moving their way through the cave. You know, I, I find those things so uh, interesting the way that the way that it's shot and the wide shots and the quiet and holding for an extra beat you know when they enter that cave and they go off screen they disappear it's kind of like here, all right here we go you know uh, i really expected like th from the uh reputation of this movie that yeah, it was gonna it, be like an old yeah. western but on cocaine yeah but it really is very patient yes and beautiful That's why i love it so much yeah it's yeah. so many of these shots really do just look like they're picturesque uh, yes. with like the rolling of the mountains in the background. Yeah. And here, as they're approaching this series of valleys going into the, um, into the mountains, a beautiful shot earlier, like a, we went way by it by now, but when they're four of them are on their horses, mm -hmm. there's like a, there's like a dolly shot uh, next to them, you know, moving along with the horses and the sun setting, just yes. great at a great atmosphere. Just, the quick little thing was just like so good. This movie also doesn't romanticize the West where you see how dirty and how miserable and how hungry and thirsty everything yeah. is. And it, this is just a hard life. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I think, um, even in the town and it made me think, uh, Sean, Justin, have either of you guys watched many Westerns, many old Westerns? Just, just the Eastwood stuff I've seen just okay. out of necessity with my brother, like the old the spaghetti ones, good, the bad, and the ugly, and those ones with Lee Van Cleef. And, yeah. Um, I'm seriously lacking. I've seen good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I've seen like one other Eastwood one and then Unforgiven and Tombstone and the 310 yeah. to Yuma remake. Yeah, so I've that, seen some of the more... It's pretty much the ones I've Modern seen. Modern ones. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Westerns, Westerns are ones I need to go back and watch more of. Okay, because, I mean, this movie takes a lot from The Searchers yeah. and um, redoes it kind of in this more uh, modern way, but it still has... The, the feeling of quality of this movie surprised me at how close it, it was to actually those older Westerns. Yeah. Uh, because it seems very respectful of the uh the tough life and yeah. the frontier living of it rather than kind of um i don't know the more badass version i mean this movie definitely is badass but i know what you mean yeah yeah it it's badass but it also feels hopeless yes yeah these guys aren't these guys aren't s s 
swinging the gun around on, on their finger and, you know, or, or yes, or quick and draw. I feel like in this scene here, Matthew Fox has had his hand cut off and he asked Chicory to tie it off. And he says, I'm not one to live as a amputee. I'm, t- uh, I'm too vain. vain. Yeah. So he asked to be left with the repeater and some dynamite yeah. and a cigar and they light his cigar. And man, when they leave him, again, similar to when his horse dies, but he goes through about five different emotions when he's smoking that cigar. As I knew this, so this is this is the other part, yeah, that you were talking about. It's like it's like fear, and then like fear of death, and then acceptance, and then I need to have a stiff upper lip because I'm gonna try to kill some of these guys. Mm-hmm. And then, like sadness that I'm not going along with them, and I, I, I genuinely thought this was really, really spectacular acting. Yeah, and in a very human moment of that, you know, a lot of the characters in this movie have time to face their own mortality and yeah. to face their own death, and I mean. That's terrifying. I, I, I feel like most of us exist in a world where we don't want that to happen. I, you know, ideally we go in our sleep or whatever, and we don't have to face those final seconds knowingly. Mm-hmm. The, the fortitude that all of the men in this movie show, and the woman, I mean, mm-hmm. the, well, the two women, I guess, that really get much time, um, is it just speaks to how tough the situation is even on a day-to-day basis but the fact that these guys jump to these acts of heroism so quickly like it's just okay there's always the chance to die in this in this world but he knows he's going to try to take some of the troglodytes out with him uh with this dynamite and it's just it's it's a fact it's not like something he's worried about it's just what he's he resolved his mind to do, and that's how he's going to go out. And it is it's very kind of old school man toughness, but God, it's yeah. it's such a good scene for him. Yeah. At it this is. point, Chicory and the sheriff are making their way further in. They get attacked. They both get knocked out and tied up. One of the troglodytes makes a call. There's rope thrones da- There's ropes thrown down from a cave opening up, and now we get to see kind of how the troglodytes exist and how they have been able to stay away from the rest of society. Uh, uh, you did kind of glance past. To me, what is the, the screech? Heart? Oh, that too. <laughs> to get the rope down, they show they do a close up of the screech, and he puts his yeah, arms out. Screech, it's almost like yeah. Uh, very, very scary. Yeah. For for me, the heartbreaking button on Bruder's journey, on Matthew Fox's journey in this movie, is as they're being dragged to the the troglodyte camp, uh, they see that he has already been killed and didn't get to set off the dynamite, mm-hmm. and that broke uh, my heart. I did not. I didn't quite pick up on the the lack of dynamite explosion. Yeah, it like it made me sad yeah. <laughs> that. He didn't get his final moment. It was like yeah. savagely taken away from him. Savagely. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so Kurt Russell and, and Jenkins are taken down really quickly. 
and brought up there. Like there's, like you said, there's no glory here. They're not bad. They're, this isn't like an action movie. This is a, a realistic touch here where they where they move on and they kind of just get taken down and dragged in. Yeah, because you see the size of some of these troglodytes. Yeah, and one of them has boar tusks surgically implanted into his cheeks. Mm-hmm. And then you just have Kurt Russell and an yeah. old man yeah. who both think they're tough, but yeah. Kurt Russell is only seemingly tough because he shoots everybody in the leg before they're able to do anything. <laughs> and uh, yeah. they see, as as they were told before back in the town, it doesn't matter how many you are because you are completely outmatched. Yeah, man to man, they are muscular and live this like animalistic life where this hunting is all that they do. Uh, once they're inside the cave, they see Mrs. O'Dwyer in a hand built cage before they're thrown in one. I liked the little uh, cage system they had where they had the the pins with the big sticks or the big stakes through the wall. That was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, Mrs. O'Dwyer has a wonderful speech here. About, uh, well, first, the deputy is not doing well. The drifter, David Arquette, he was eaten. But uh, she says, she yells at these two men, frontier life is difficult not because of the Indians or the elements, but because of idiots. You're both (laughs) idiots. You left a trail for my broken husband to follow you to this place of hell because you're fucking idiots. This is why the West sucks is because all you men are so fucking dumb, basically. And it's she, as you said before, she might be the most badass of any character here because we see she her resolve has not been broken one Mm. bit. Right. I I was honestly surprised by the her character and all the women characters, like knowing a little bit about um, S. Craig Zoller. Uh, his his politics and Dallas Sonye who produced it, uh, his politics as well. I kind of didn't think that they would have these strong women in this. And the woman who basically says, not only is this a problem, you and your masculinity is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> You're making things worse with your toxic masculinity. And I was like, well, that was pretty awesome for yeah. coming out of these guys. Right. So at this point, her husband wakes up and O'Dwyer starts his walk towards them following the trail. At one point, he falls down a hill at the night, which looked absolutely agonizing on a broken leg. So he starts to drink more and more of the opium tincture. At one point, he starts falling asleep on his feet. And this reminded me of downtown San Francisco at night when you would see heroin addicts barely conscious barely standing on their feet, leaned over and almost like bodily contorted, mm-hmm. but still standing on their feet as their brains were essentially mm. shut off. The uh, Is this where he actually gets reduced to an animal, basically, because he can't walk anymore? So he starts crawling uh, like a dog through the underbrush with mm. his cane slung across his back. I like that he is is brought to the level of an animal like the, the troglodytes are. Justin, what'd you think of this next part where we're back in the cave? Yeah. And Kurt Russell has the flask, which actually has opium tincture in it. So 
I'm sorry. Did we go by the splitting scene? We uh, did. No, that's still. Wait. We did. We totally did. <laughs> yes. Did, wait. Because it's right after they come to the cave. Yeah. So I know. It's it's we're two hours in, <laughs> but you can't go by that part. I don't think. <laughs> no, you can't. So, oh, I'm good. Sorry. Because it, I, I I I think what happened was I was in such shock when that moment happened. Yeah. That I just didn't take any notes. Yeah. Whatsoever. Because so we, we I should just touch couldn't. on it because it's the it's that's probably that's what most people are thinking about when they talk about this movie being. I'm brutal. Really you know? glad you brought it back. And please, <laughs> Justin, go ahead and share your thoughts on poor. Well, the Nick, poor, Nick, uh, Nick, the deputy, Dep- his name's Nick. Yeah. And, um, so they come, they take him out and they put him on his knees and Nick in front of, you know, for everyone to see. And his, his dial, his last dialogue with the sheriff is just really, really sad. Uh, and Kurt Russell tells him that the Calvary's coming, you know, his and last they, and dialogue, gonna, he's still trying to be useful and he's yeah. trying to be like, Hey, he says, this was all he tells validated. That, that because drifter, was, the drifter yeah. had, the drifter had killed a bunch of people and he was, and he was going to kill us. So this was all, this is all validated. And they thank each other. And then, you know, Kurt Russell also tells him that Calvary's coming. He's going to kill every one of these sons of bitches, you know, just so he, this guy can hear some hope before he's dying. And then very, very savage. And then the, the troglodytes basically, hold his legs up, all right, right? I mean, they put him in a handstand, hold it, and they spread his legs, and they basically axe him in half, and it's brutal and gruesome. Uh, the fact that he's nude, though... Yeah, naked, yeah. ...makes him so much more vulnerable. Oh, God, And yeah. something about that nudity makes this moment so much more visceral because I feel like when I watch a slasher movie, for some reason, I know it's stupid, but if somebody's wearing a t-shirt, it feels like that provides them some layer of protection. Yeah. When you see somebody's naked body, especially as this man hung upside down with his legs spread, where your most vulnerable part is the top of you that's completely exposed (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you are at your absolute most vulnerable. Right. This moment is, I, I saw this movie and I, I, I you know, I, I'm very glad I didn't have this spoiled for me. I saw this pretty early on. Yeah, um, me too. It's shocking. I don't, I, it's hard for me to think of many other deaths in horror movies that are more horrifying than this. This moment leaves an impression that, like you said, Justin, it's really hard to forget. And in many people's minds, Bone Tomahawk is this scene, first and foremost, before anything else. And it's just one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, for sure. They, not only, they chop him in half with, uh, like, an improvised hatchet, because mm. they use, like, sharpened bones and rocks as their weapons. Yeah. Uh, but they physically once they kind of get through the muscle yeah. and grit they they just tear him in half it's yeah. literally just two guys pulling and it's like a, like like butchering like chopping a raw chicken like yeah. into pieces but it reminds me of just brutal Ugh. and that yeah the fact that after this chicory goes to the sheriff why'd you say that? Is the cavalry coming? And he goes, no, it's just to give him peace. Yeah. And Chickory goes, oh, that's that's what you would want, huh? 
That's if, if if that were to happen to you, that's what you would want to be told. Yeah. And I mean, very shortly we're gonna see right. that payoff. <laughs> this movie, once they get into the cave, my right. god, this this movie is so bleak. It's been such a slow build up and compelling character development up until now, and then all of a sudden it's this devastation that we've known the whole time is hundred percent inevitable. But and when then it finally comes and it's just it doesn't let up. You know? In the first 30 minutes of this movie, I'm so sucked into the vibe of it that even on my rewatch, I forget that this awful shit is going to happen because yeah. I'm feeling like it's more of a tombstone vibe where mm-hmm. you got Kurt Russell as the sheriff checking out Arquette the drifter and you got the bar scene and you got the tension around that. And yeah, I this. Yeah, but it disarms me for where this movie is going to end up. And I that's totally um just so finely done with the like Justin said the character development through all the dialogue is it's tuned so well to get you to like all of the characters but you understand that they still have tension with each other at this point you don't think like anyone is the bad guy even if you think Matthew Fox is you know he has some issues uh before he dies, you still don't think of him as the bad one. You have empathy for all of the characters. Yeah. Um, and really, there's no antagonist until this final third of the movie. It's it's the men against nature and against the potentiality of this violence that, that happens to them. Mm. Okay. That's so, a really good point, Josh. Sorry. <laughs> At so, this point, uh, now we get the troglodyte opium setup. Yes. Where we find out that there's a flask, it has a bunch of tincture of opium, and so Richard Jenkins and Kurt Russell set up a little skit to get them to drink it. The troglodytes take it, one of them takes a couple of huge gulps, another a little bit less, and another just a sip. And this is where, again, we see how smart... Um, Mrs. O'Dwyer is because she knows like the dosage and what will happen to each. She says yeah. one will be fucked up, one will die, and one will feel nothing. Essentially, after this, we cut to uh, Mr. O'Dwyer who has fallen asleep next to a rock, and while he's sleeping, two troglodytes attack him, and they try to sneak up on him. He shoots one. The other is about to shoot a bow and arrow at him. He shoots a bullet that seems to snap the other's bow and arrow in half, and then he runs out of bullets. The troglodyte is charging him, and he's able to reload one bullet into his gun and down the troglodyte. Yeah. And at this point, I believe he realizes that it's most likely it seems to be a teenager, one of the ones that he killed. Mm-hmm. Which he talked earlier. I, I Was it O'Dwyer who talked earlier about not killing women and children when Matthew Fox. How did you, how did you deduct that he thought it was a teenager? I missed that. Uh, there was one that was shot like through the neck and it, he just seemed young to me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was nothing. There was nothing. Okay. Yeah. Nothing. I missed it. Nothing concrete. It was just based on the look and based on how, when he approached the body of that person taking his last breaths, yeah. There did seem to be a bit of remorse that made me feel like, oh shit, this was a yeah, this was a a young man. But so, but then it, it validated Matthew Fox's 
previous statement that like doesn't matter if yeah. it's a woman or children when they're charging you with a weapon. Yeah. So right right before that part with um with O'Dwyer, the Mrs. O'Dwyer says in the cave, they ask how many of them there are, and she says there's 12 males, right? Yeah. And then you get, just as, as, a, as the audience gets to start playing this game of, okay, well, they've killed three. He said, they say, how many of you killed these three? Okay, so that leaves nine, right? And this is where you get to kind of keep track of that as an audience, you know? And it, it, I love when movies do that, where you kind of have to think it leads you to think it's not dissimilar to like blood simple of course in the blood simple counting the bullets left in the revolver mm-hmm. getting in a shot through the wall uh i love stuff like that in movies where it's like all right well there's one bullet left or and we do that with how many troglodytes are left because then patrick wilson kills like two or three right now so then that leaves what six right or whatever it is and I, i'm just saying i find it i find it really interesting when a movie has you do that I believe at one point his wife says, oh, that means that my husband who's crippled has to face seven of them. Yeah. And so... Uh, and, then, and then it goes to him and he kills a couple here. So yeah. That, and then we say, okay, so there's five it's, left. So it's at this point that O'Dwyer looks and sees that in the throat of these things, he thinks it might be jewelry, but there's something weird. So he's going to cut it out in an absolutely horrifying scene of just like ER level surgery and dissection to just cut this device out of the throat and it's like stringy and tendony and bloody and gross and just just all around awful Who, whoever the special effects designer who came up with this little thing uh is just genius because to have like like you said like the tendons coming off of it that he kind of like pulls and tears yeah. and it does it feels like tearing up a a raw animal yeah, and this feels like like so what was this like surgically implanted in the troglodytes when they were babies and this is like an instrument that they all put in themselves is this a genetic i, I think it's a gen like a genetic mutation yes because they they don't okay. speak but they have this howl that they that they can do and at first it bugged me because the first time you see them you don't see that but you hear the sound and I'm like, people can't make that sound. That's right, stupid. Right. I hate in movies when people make inhuman sounds. Yeah. Like when you watch the spoilers for M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, three, two, one, <laughs> the monsters are all humans. But in the first 40 minutes of that movie, they're like, rawr, rawr, rawr. Yeah. like it's just making all sorts of weird shit sounds. And it's just, when you find out that it's just Adrian Brody running around in a costume. So I didn't... It's not quite the same. So in the with this Wikipedia article that I'm referring to again about troglodytes, uh, in Herodotus, I can't know how to pronounce that, he stated that their language was unlike anything known to him and sounded like screeching of bats. Ooh. Oh. But I... So you think that those bones are uh, uh, like a growth that they, that's it's just... They evolved to have that. I I thought that they surgically implanted themselves. I personally thought that was an implant. But who I knows? But, I mean, you, but it, the it, amount they of don't like tell ten, you the amount of tendons that were attached to it and stuff when he yeah. removed it makes me think that it's yeah. innate. I mean, even the quote unquote civilized people, the man who broke his leg might die even when he's at his house because they don't have access to like, you know 
actual surgical implements mm. uh, in this in this day and age. Very true, yeah. So what luck would some cave dwellers have implanting right. something in their neck? Yeah. Um, wow. So Patrick Wilson cuts the thing out, blows the weird neck thing at the base of the cave. He uses like a moose is, call. This is where the teenage troglodyte runs out and he shoots him. Uh, we come back up to the caves now and Chicory brings up a flea circus. And this scene kind of defined Richard Jenkins' performance in this. But also just like a lot of the dialogue and whole of this like this dialogue that doesn't really match at all what's going on. It's kind of characters commenting on life in the Old West and just life in kind of an existential way surrounded by this chaos. Yeah. And so Richard Jenkins talks about the Sanderson the Sanderson flea circus yeah. which came through town and people all say that it's all just magic or sorry that it's all machinery and that all the fleas are dead and it's, that it's all there's little stagecoaches being pulled by fleas but but he believes that the fleas were magic and Mrs. O'Dwyer in such a beautiful little moment here tells him that Oh, no, flea circuses are bullshit, except for the Sandersons. Theirs was real. And the, the look of joy and of, like, peace that washes over uh, Chicory is so beautiful. His, his yeah. performance is astounding. Right. That's, I thought it was such a good moment of uh, humanity for the, that Samantha character that we haven't gotten a whole lot of up to this point. She gives the sheriff a little wink yeah. across the cells, and it's just like, God, this lady's fucking badass that she hasn't eaten a single thing. She refuses to, and she has not broken, and she still has empathy to try to take care of this old man. Yeah. Well, and I felt really good in the fact, because of what happens in this next little action sequence, that chicory is going to be well taken care of in the future uh, by Samantha and uh, Arthur. Mm -hmm. So the troglodytes, the third one to drink from the flask, um, threw it in the fire uh, because he thought it was disgusting or whatever, uh, which it, one of those details that when first watching it, I didn't put down on my notes, but then Right here, I had to go back and put it in because I was like, oh, shit, that was important. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I do. None of this. The staging of this is very flashy. It's very matter of fact, which makes the the gruesome parts more gruesome. But it also doesn't draw attention to things like this. And you just accept it because in my mind, it didn't. I didn't go, oh, that's going to be important later, you know. Yeah when they draw too much attention to something and it just seems obvious, like uh, the different kinds of uh, paintings and Scooby-Doo, you can tell what doors are going to open because it's a different color paint than everything else right. in the background. Do you guys have any thoughts about the minimalism of this set design with this cave versus the intricate nature of the descent, the next movie we're going to watch? Because uh, this, this cave system a lot of times we spend just on that one wide shot where mm -hmm. you get the, the coal pit in the middle and the two, the two cages on each side mm -hmm. and then the entrance hallway in the back. Yeah. And it, it, it just lingers on that a lot. Yeah. 
I never thought of it as a set, actually, because it seemed so lived in. And I was just imagining how hot it must be in that cave. Like, if you had that that coal pit, that fire constantly in the middle of it, and it's a, a long exit out to the outdoors, yeah. that it would just be sweltering in there. Yeah. And you would just be miserable. Yeah. So, the opium has taken effect. One of them has died. One of them looks a little drugged, and the other looks angry. They drag Kurt Russell out of his cell, and in another truly horrible moment, they rip his shirt off, they flay him down on the ground, and then it nonchalantly stab his belly with yeah. said bone tomahawk and drag it with, like, friction yeah. through the side of his stomach. And it's like, it's not clean, it's not smooth, it's jerky yeah. and awful and then they take that goddamn flask and jam it into his yeah. side. Uh, Josh, was this the part you were talking about where the sound kind of dropped out or no? No, it's um right before the uh attack on Matthew Fox. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Where it leaves for just a second. Uh yeah. and you have that like the whoosh when it comes back in and yeah. uh then he gets his dang hand chopped off. Yeah, yeah. Josh, um, I feel like Justin and I have, we need to ask you more about your first experience, not having watched this before. How did you respond to the violence? Because Justin and I have seen this many times, so I feel like we're not quite as affected by it. Mm -hmm. But I know this movie has a reputation, but watching this for the first time, the bisection scene, and now this scene with Kurt Russell... I actually thought because uh, we've talked about it before that somebody getting their head chopped off in a movie isn't as effective as somebody getting paper cut as far as making you feel it. Mm. So uh, the stable boy getting attacked felt mm-hmm. very real and mm-hmm. very like possible. And this, the cutting open of the sheriff's side feels so like that. I felt the getting hacked in half. It's it is very vulnerable, but it's too big of a of a moment. Um, it's something you could see in like a, one of the wrong turn movies or something. Right. This is the very kind of direct action. And you think about your side, at least I thought about my side, like that's where I'm ticklish. And that's where I feel, you know, like my guts are right there and everything is right next to your ribs. Uh, so. It, there were varying levels of uh, where it felt visceral to me. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't really shocked by any of it, except for them inserting the flask in the side. <laughs> that part, yeah. I was like, that's an extra level of brutality that I was not expecting. It's yeah. a hell of a thing, man. Yeah, the creativity of that brutality, I think, is is what I didn't see coming. So yeah, they, they stab Kurt Russell in the belly. They insert <laughs> the flask. They then shoot his arm. The one is trying to figure out yeah. and then does figure out how to reload the repeater, shoots him once nonchalantly in the chest. Then yeah. Kurt Russell, being a true badass, grabs great, said bone yeah. tomahawk and chops half of the foot off yeah. as Mr. O'Dwyer shows up yeah. to finish the job and saves the day. Justin, what do you think of this? Well, when Kurt Russell, after he... Um, 
inserts the flask and everything. After they insert the flask in his chest, he he doesn't he behead one of them and then yeah. he stands to. So yes. he be, he chops the guy's heads off, and then he stands tall and puffs his chest out. This is he's already, he's been shot in the chest, his arm. He's got a flask in his side, and he stands tall. He's got no shirt on. He's got a big hairy chest, and he stands tall for about two seconds and then collapses. And I found that, and he's spitting blood as he stood tall, and I thought, this guy's a fucking badass. That's what I thought at that moment. I thought it was so fantastic. And then, um, and then I, so, so, and then there's the whole thing of, they when, uh, are we going towards, is this the end now? So they, yeah. when they leave, and he says to him, say goodbye to my wife, so the sheriff says to Vickery, say goodbye to my wife, and I'll say hello to yours. And I thought it's such a like a almost a cliche type of thing, but it works so good. And I just thought I was just I was just smiling. I, watch I, I watched I watched this with Tay. That line made me cry. That line made <laughs> Tay say that was cheesy. Yeah. So, yeah. so it works. That, that line is like right on that border. I know. But for me, like you said, they had yeah. earned that line. Exactly. So yeah. I, I was fully in on it. I, I agree. Like that's what it was. If it was a lesser quality of a film up until now i'd be like ah whatever but it but the movie has been so engaging and and uh intense and also grounded in reality for the most part except for you know some of this some of the violence maybe but it, not that it's not realistic uh over the top so i like you said they earned it they earned that little line and i i think it's like uh i, I just thought it was a beautiful line i think that they couldn't have ended with a better line there I loved it because it's essentially the last line of the movie. There's yeah. really not there's, much left here on the end. I think there's a little bit as they as they walk out there. But like as you we we talked about the the twelve of them uh, troglodytes. They killed a couple, and then we and then uh, O'Dwyer kills a couple. And I remember counting down, and then we kill one and a half or two with the flask, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're doing this game of subtraction here, which I found. And then they say there's three left, right? I think three. Yes, three. And then as they're walking, as they leave the cave, and it's, it's Chicory and the O'Dwyers, I think we hear a couple. We, Kurt Russell says he's going to wait and kill the rest, because they know about Bright Hope, so he has to kill all. And as, right before the movie ends, you hear three gunshots, I believe. Yep. Oh, and cool. We, I, did and, not, and us, I didn't us, do the math. Yeah, so us as an audience uh, are thinking that's the, we, we, we want to believe we choose to believe those are the three the last three and that's when Chick chickory drops his weapon of rock yep he throws yeah. his rock down in the dirt what and an also the, the, on the that, music like that viol and like there's a score a big violin score that kicks in right that's what i was just gonna say out, man and that's the first sound of music we've heard in in, in a damn sight is it's been so quiet the whole time <laughs> through all this violence and everything and then those 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 screechy violins come yeah and i love just a chicory dropping the rock at the end of just like okay for a while now mm -hmm. bright hope is safe um i did have one question for what you guys thought about kurt russell says you know when he's talking to chicory he tells chicory to get out of here you know leave him he's gonna kill the rest and he says have a talk with mr o'dwyer and i didn't it said, I think, Mr. O'Dwyer, you need to have a talk with him. And he says, I will. Chicory says, I will. What did you think he meant by have a talk with him? I thought maybe he meant, 
O'Dwyer needs to be the new sheriff or what? What did what do you think that was? Did you notice that? Um, I didn't know what to think about it because I thought it was something about that there was going to be more danger. Uh, but then the ending seems to contradict that. So I didn't go back yeah. and actually think about it. But yeah, I don't know. He's because he does. He says as they're saying their goodbyes. He says I, I think it'd be a good idea if you had a talk with he. You had a talk with Mr. O'Dwyer, and he says, "I will." And then they kind of say goodbye. I just didn't know what. what there was, there was one moment. I, I I don't know if Justin, if this would explain it, but it almost felt to me like he was telling his then deputy, like you need to go debrief him, because Richard Jenkins is trying to figure out how to finally say goodbye, and they have that moment of like, say I'll say goodbye to your wife. I'll say hello to yours. And then Richard Jenkins tries to go back in for another goodbye, and Kurt Russell kind of waves him off like, nope, that, yeah. that was it. That, <laughs> that was our moment. You need to go. Yeah. I don't, I don't know yeah. what the last moment was. It was there. an interesting, interesting line there, and I just wasn't sure. Well, gentlemen, that was Bone Tomahawk, all two hours and ten minutes of it. This was a long one. Yeah. Um, I was wow, I was surprised I, I to see believe... it was so long, and that his other movies are longer. I did not expect that. I thought this was going to be like a tight little thriller, but it held my attention the whole time. Is it that long, huh? I didn't. I thought it was less too. It, you know, and it's just that the first ninety, not much happens, but the the characters, the actors just, are yeah. chewing so much scenery, yeah, that I feel like it goes by a lot faster. Than it yeah. would otherwise. Yeah, great Again, dialogue. this this cast is stellar. Yeah, this cast it makes the movie. Yeah, even though Matthew Fox is the absolute the best, best thing, he's probably the best actor. No, I've he's ever terrible, seen. <laughs> terrible. So, Justin, to wrap things up here for Bone Tomahawk, what would you rate this movie out of five? Oh, for me, it's a five out of five, for sure. Like, and 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 I don't want to. Uh, pretty pretty much for the reasons I've already said, you know, in that it's a quiet film. It's 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 very the characters are, are fascinating to me. The acting is top notch. It's got it's got like everything that I'm looking for in a movie, like little action, horror, comedy, uh, western. Uh, not always western, but I, the the blending of the of kind of genres, you know, I just find really really the acting it's effectively scary it's got interesting acting there's unpredictable turns you know um i agree man it's it's yeah. a great blend of western and horror and it does a really good job of representing both those genres yeah the character actors that it got give excellent performances and the world feels lived in and yeah. i know like a lot of the dialogue is nonsense but most of what we talk about as human beings is nonsense. When you look at um, Patrick Wilson with his broken leg, he has to, he's just going to lie in bed for 12 weeks and look at the ceiling in his little cabin. Like all there's, there's no distraction in this world. There's nothing to do except talk to people. So I think that's why I like chicory so much is just, just going to talk and just keep talking. Cause what else do you want to hear boots and breathing? Right. So, um, I'm going to give this one a four and a half out of five. It's, 
it's excellent and it's shocking and it captures me and sucks me into this world and i mean if you have kurt russell doing kurt russell cowboy things it's it's hard for me not to like your movie yeah josh what do you think bud um i'm here i get four and a half and a heart on letterbox because uh the movie was surprisingly charming i want to say like all the characters really are um they're all kind of sweet and I want to spend more time with them. And I don't think that I would mind living in the world of bright hope. I I don't want to deal with the, uh, the wilds outside of it, but the, the people who inhabit that, that little area, uh, seem like good people. And I'd like to spend more time with them. Right on. Well, we're (laughs) going to move on to our second movie here. We're going to be talking about the descent directed by Neil Marshall, the decent, Pretty good. <laughs> so you watched Bone Tomahawk this morning with with Tay. Yeah, yeah. Poor Tay. The things I've subjected him to recently. <laughs> I, he, had he seen he, it before? Seen, yeah, he had seen oh, it before. Okay. He he digs it. He's into it. Uh, but. You know, for a Saturday morning, I feel like people would probably prefer to watch something a little happier than the end of the descent and then Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. Dude, the descent's depressing. <laughs> I don't, I, I, in my 20s, I don't think I quite picked up on it, but. Yeah. This movie <laughs> bumps me out in a way that it hadn't done before this today. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of keep it in a place where it's. I can deal with something, a movie like The Descent being depressing because of just of what it is. I mean, it's a pretty bloody horror movie, <clears throat> as opposed to something like a relationship drama about people who who lose their son or something. And a movie about that, and that's like stuff that I can't really, I just can't watch anymore. You know, I. That yeah. stuff's that stuff's really depressing. But a movie like this, where it's enough based in fantasy, in that it's a monster movie, kind of, that it makes it a little bit less depressing. Although, I guess, uh, well, I hate to keep referencing Rob Zombie movies, but those movies are pretty depressing. But they're depressing in like a different way. They're not depressing like this is making me sad. They're depressing in like it's just the worst of people, the worst of mankind, of humankind on film, you know, just horrible people being absolutely horrible to each other for for an for two hours, you know. Yeah, there's a difference between telling a story about a person who's gone through a lot of loss and right. trauma, yeah, versus telling a story about three hick protagonists yeah. who yeah. you tra- claim are protagonists, even though they're like the worst people that have ever existed. Yeah. And then Rob Zombie again and again tries to, tries to convince the audience that this is somehow fun and entertaining. Yeah. Um, it's brutal. You know, um, I, I, I didn't like house of a thousand corpses when I yeah. first saw it. 
I I thought I liked Devil's Rejects, but I think that might have just been like <laughs> my response to enjoying Saw and being a Saw fan and like yeah. the 2005 yeah that time era of I would say House of a Thousand porn, Corpses is one of the probably the only one that I would say is somewhat watchable. The other ones are just I don't know, man. It's tough. Yeah, I never saw his Salem one. Or oh, I tried to watch that. That was like that was my last one that I attempted to watch, and I just turned it off halfway when it was new. Then since then, I've just nothing. Or maybe yeah. did, that well, was I after mean, I don't, Halloween. I don't. I don't think his beard is that gray. I mean, yeah, he probably dyes it. But uh, yeah. oh, hi, Josh. Uh huh. Cute. <laughs> Nowadays, maybe you could get like a pea pod. Well, you guys don't know a pea pod, but like a food delivery. Oh yeah, pea pod. Pea pod is a stop and shop thing. Stop. You guys don't know what stop and shop is. I don't think. I, I think it's a local thing. It's just a grocery store. But pea oh, okay. is the grocery is the is for them. They deliver. You know what else delivers? Neil Marshall. Because man, does this movie kick ass? We are talking about the descent. It came out in two thousand five, and this movie. Oh no, Josh! The intro fell apart. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? Leave I it had it. I had it until my sentence. Do you guys? I don't edit? know. I, do you I don't edit know. Kind of <laughs> minimally. Yeah, in the I, words right, of I'll Dustin, not so you'd notice. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Because I listen, I, 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 I listen. I, 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 I had that great transition, but then I wasn't sure if I should go with the starring cast uh-huh. or if I should go with. I don't know why, but I was going to go with the budget. That doesn't seem right to go with the budget. Right what else is? Bat- I know Dog Soldiers. Neil Marshall did Dog Soldiers before this, which was a cool movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, what, oh, okay. but what what has he done after The Descent? Anything of note? So Neil Marshall, after this, he did um, a Mad Max ripoff called Doomsday, which was universally oh, right. panned. And I, I really liked it. I watched it, it I... and I remember watching it because I loved this movie, so, The Descent, so much. And I was like, oh, this would be good. And I think I saw it once. And it wasn't, I don't remember hating it. I just don't remember something I, I was, wanted to revisit. I was a defender of it, but I yeah. think it was just because I thought from watching dog Sur- dog soldiers which i really liked yeah and then the, the descent which i loved i was like okay neil marshall's my guy mm-hmm. and so then i found myself trying to defend doomsday yeah even though it wasn't that great yeah. and then after that he did direct two um game of thrones episodes which were mm-hmm. both like huge battle episodes and both amongst the fan base really well received yeah. um really well directed stuff but Neil Marshall bums me out because I thought he was going to be yeah like, kind of like on that level of like the next like Ari Aster or right um, Robert Eggers kind of like one of those new frontier guys um, yeah the Conjuring not. guy James Wan um, yeah someone like that but he kind of he kind of dropped off unfortunately. He yeah, did direct one of my favorite episodes of Hannibal, though. Oh yeah, with uh, the Great Red Dragon, uh, yes. which is just an awesome 
episode and the kind of a reveal episode. Uh, I need to rewatch show. seasons two and three of Hannibal. Because I, I think I've often tried to rewatch that show mm-hmm. and then I get through season one and I just kind of burn out on it, even though I know two and three especially are where it really takes off into just like complete absurdity. Yes. That it, show is the most pretentious thing I've ever watched and I <laughs> loved it. The the shift into season two is very off putting because like the setting and the tone and everything feels different. And it takes a while to kind of find its feet again, I I think. Um, but I th- we did it, it like right at the start of the lockdown. Um, we were wrapping it up and I had a blast with it. We did that and uh, Better Call Saul. As... <laughs> I know I can always get a good reaction out thank, of you. Thank God. Thank God. But Bob Odenkirk is okay because... Uh... Uh, we need more better call cell. Yes. So do you want to go to the cast? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, actually, you know, before we do anything, I want to start with the poster. I think this poster for this movie kicks ass yeah, where it's all the funny. women kneeling and it creates oh. a skull in the light. Yes. Oh. Wait, is that the poster where she's screaming covered in blood? No, this is That's a still... different promotional image oh, okay. poster where it's, you know, five or six women, and the way that they're all kneeling, um, it creates a not skull. That's not that. Oh no, but I love that one too because I love moments where a, a, a horror movie protagonist, especially when they're blood drenched, gives a war cry, and so that's like Sarah's war cry when she's just after that blood pool. Yeah, when she stands and just screams up. Yes, that's badass. <laughs> Um, the, the poster you're talking about, Sean, is a, a reference to a, a Dali, uh, picture that he did with, uh, women, you know, like 70 years earlier or something. Um, but with all nude women that makes a skull. Oh, so well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, can, right, uh, you can see it in a museum too. <laughs> so yeah. Let's start with the cast real quick because I think. The cast and their vibe together is really one of the strong points of this movie. And I love also that this movie is kind of the antithesis of the thing, where how often do you get a female-led, completely female horror movie? Um, This is one of the few. So we got Shauna McDonald as the lead, uh, Sarah, Natalie Mendoza, Mayanna Burning, Saskia Mulder, Alex Reed, and Nora Jane Noon. Uh, rounding out the main group of women and this movie I don't know if you guys had a similar experience the first time I watched this I really had trouble distinguishing certain characters from each other especially the blonde women Mm -hmm. in this movie and today's viewing especially I really tried to pay attention and to keep them distinguished and separated as individuals whereas a lot of times in this movie they all kind of mishmash together in my brain mm. and I, I was actually surprised how much more i took away from this when i was able to chart all of the characters yeah. so that was one of my comments was actually how this movie uh feels to me more like um in the beginning of avatar right you get all of your characters and they all meet, but they're all 
it, to me, it feels very hand wavy because James Cameron is saying like, you've seen a James Cameron movie before, right? Like we have all of the archetypes from aliens. They're just in a new movie now. Like we're going to get past that. And that's what this movie felt like to me where you don't get a lot of individual scenes uh, with the women one-on-one. You get a couple scenes with them all talking. So you get like the feel of the group dynamic really well, but except for um, Sarah and Juno, uh, I don't really feel like they stand out nearly as much, especially as like compared to the last movie we just talked about. Yeah, definitely compared to the last movie, they don't stand out as much. However, I've seen this movie. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. I don't know. I was like me and my wife rented it probably in 2006 or whenever it came to. And I was just, we were watching so much horror at the time. Still do. But at the time I was like, and then I, but so much garbage too, just in one, you know, in one ear out the other is, or just mm-hmm. left my mind after I'd watch it. So when we stumbled across, across this movie, it had a similar effect as uh bone Tomahawk being the, within the first, couple minutes when the little girl and the husband die in a car accident i was like this is gonna fucking be a bummer you know <laughs> and then of course uh same thing with bone tomahawk with the throat slitting i thought it was gonna be too much you know and then after 10 15 minutes i was engaged and this movie is i think it's a great pair up with bone tomahawk for more reasons than just the cave but what i was gonna say was as far as the characters being indistinguishable from each other i've seen it so many times that I just know them all, you know, mm-hmm. and I know Rebecca and Sam are sisters and Holly's like the, the, the base jumping psychopath. And yeah, and um, Beth and Sarah are good friends. And Juno's the, the uh, cheating bitch, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I picked up on stuff today. I, uh, there's one line where Rebecca says to Sam, oh, that's my little sister. Mm. I'm, I'm so yes. proud of my little sister. Oh, and, me, uh, my, me, me and Nicole say that to each other all the time in that accent. I'm so proud of my little sister. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that made this so much more harrowing understanding that because they do get separated together. And then the fact, like, imagining siblings being down, going through this, elevated the horror for me or Mm -hmm. another thing which i've seen this movie a bunch of times and so i'm sure i've picked up on this and forgotten but the subplot of juno having cheated with sarah's husband is rather subtly implied because there's only three moments that give away the entire thing Mm -hmm. and we'll see at the start of the movie um well, just to get into the movie right now, we, we have the John Carpenter font to start the movie, <laughs> which I, I noticed. And uh, later on, we're going to get some heavy John Carpenter, um, Ennio Morricone, like the thing um, score where there's going to be like a dum 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 dum. And that I, I feel like there's a lot of influences there. But so we start with Sarah, Juno and Beth and they're river rafting and they go down some rapids and they get out and we see Sarah's husband like taking Juno's helmet off. And we see that Beth notices this. This is a very little moment that I don't even know if I picked up on until this viewing. Oh, really? Yeah. They share a little look like Juno looks at him like, 
they she looks at him and looks down like clearly they have something going on there. Uh, yeah, this, this is a big <laughs> moment, and it, but it's subtle. Yeah. Already though, uh, Sean, you talked a few episodes back uh, about people doing worm shit and going under mountains where they shouldn't go. This movie already gets a big nope from me. The whitewater from, rafting. From the whitewater rafting. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah. I have a friend who does um, kayaking. And he travels all over the world doing these extreme, uh, you know, camping out in the jungle um, with wild animals. And he gets weird diseases all the time. He was the first person I know who got COVID. Um, but he always winds up with like weird shit happening to him because he's on these adventures. And I'm like, he's a very cool dude. He's super chill and very, very nice. Uh, I could not do the shit he does. Once again, I am far too soft, and I belong yeah. in the city. <laughs> Has he had a parasite swim up his urethra? Hang on, I can text him. <laughs> I can check. Well, I just, I don't know if is that a myth. I don't know. I don't want no, to that, derail that's, you. That's a definite. There's a real fish that will like go up your. It looks for that. Dick, it looks for that little it's hole. It's Saturday huh? night, so I'm gonna say. I, it's Saturday night, so I'm gonna say it goes up your dick hole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and has barbs and. Uh, Oof. Uh, boy. Um, yeah. Can I? I, I want to point out. I really like the score on mm-hmm. this movie by David Julian, and we get just kind of the overall um, theme as they're doing this water rafting whitewater rafting scene in the beginning here so after this sarah and her husband and her kid get into the car juno and beth get in a different car and this is my note is um please secure your cargo folks If 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 you have stuff on the top of your car please please strap it down and also if you're driving a car don't look at your passenger to make eye contact when you're having a conversation with them. Those are my two I think PSAs. That is true, but I think it was the the plumbing supply truck who came onto their side of the road. That's how I saw it, anyway. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. But they weren't watching. They but they would have seen it sooner if if they were looking. You know. Well, yeah. Either way, we see that a uh, plumbing van. Drifts into their lane, and there's a head-on collision, and copper Co- pipes copper go through pipes the car through. at an angle that would get both. Well, we see the husband's head explode horribly, and we also see that the daughter would also be in the line of danger there, unfortunately. Um, at this point, this is where we get our first shot to black, and we get the birthday cake shot where Sarah sees her daughter and a birthday cake holding in front of her with lit candles, and she wakes up in a hospital. I am grossed out in movies and TV shows when people rip their IVs out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it. I don't painful. like it at all, because I've had an IV, and I don't think you can just yank them out. Like I, I feel like you would I fuck think, yourself up. I think you can. I don't think it's recommended. I had... <laughs> um, so... Back in the in the bad old days, um, when I regularly would go to the uh, plasma, the place where you sell your blood, 
the plasma donation center uh, multiple times a week to get uh, drinking money. Um, one time, damn, I, that's that's <laughs> not recommended to donate blood to then use that money to drink with. Let me tell you, it doesn't cost as much to get drunk after that. <laughs> I was gonna say, I bet you were a that's cheap date. That's what I was date. gonna say. Yeah, you get drunk quick. <laughs> uh, but I had one time uh, my vein uh, split because. For anybody who doesn't know, when they take your plasma, they put in the IV, they pull out all of your blood, put it through a centrifuge, uh, siphon off the plasma, and then give you back the rest of the platelets. So they feed them back through the through the same uh, IV, mm. uh, and you're right in the right here in the crook of your elbow. Wait, so every ounce of blood that's in your body is going to pass through this thing? No. You can do it like three times a week, so you 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 constantly make more plasma. Oh no! I'm sorry. I just meant like 100 percent of your blood your blood is going to pass through this machine in one sitting. I don't, and then come back into you. I don't think so. I mean that that seems extreme. But well, anyway, you were there for like half an this, hour. Something is about this idea disturbs me. I would rather they remove my blood and then remove the platelets from it. Then recycle my blood back into me. Mm. And I don't know why. W- when they put it back in, my vein split when they were pumping it back in, and I wound up with uh, a big goose egg of blood underneath my my elbow here. And uh, you could push on it, and the blood would squirt out. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think this is right. And the lady came over, and I had a a massive. <laughs> A bruise there for weeks after that, nice. as the as it healed up. Yeah. So what kind of, what kind of uh, cash you getting for something? <laughs> I mean, this was back in the the late nineties. Yeah, uh, okay. that I was doing it, but I'm, I'm well, a couple hundred bucks or a hundred bucks. I'm thinking you you come up with around a hundred bucks a week because yeah, you would okay. get a bonus if you went three times a week. So yeah. I think it was twenty something a pop, and then you'd get an extra five or ten bucks. Yeah, nice. uh, so yeah, it was good, you know for buy a cd and some brews and i was good yeah, for the yeah, week yeah. nice i didn't need anything else no <laughs> but uh why was i talking about that uh, he's talking about ripping, talk, uh, ripping uh, out catheters. Oh, rip it, yeah ripping the no, IV not catheters not so, oh catheters, jesus christ justin <laughs> <laughs> ripping out catheters. have you guys had a catheter because uh, that no. i've never had one and i'm afraid of them yeah i don't uh, I'm afraid of catheters like I might wake up one day and I just have a catheter, catheter. suddenly inside of me. Yeah. I mean, uh from if action movies have taught me anything, you never need one. You're you'll totally be fine with all kinds of abdominal abdominal uh <laughs> abdominable injuries. <laughs> yes, abdominable injuries. <laughs> you might turn into a snowman if they don't heal you. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. A year later, the women have reunited in America. And you can tell it's America because they play the most bluegrass Appalachian music to set mm-hmm. the scene uh, of when they're coming to the end of the cabin. Yeah. And I thought it was, I was like, is this what all British people think of when they think of America is like, I guess so. I guess in that area, maybe that's what they think. Cause this was actually, was this shot in somewhere in Europe? shot in england and then um shot on the set at pinewood studios which i believe is the star wars 
oh, yeah. place, right? The James Bond place, if you will. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, so... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> please d- fill us in. Pinewood is, Pinewood is famous. Yes. Is it yeah. odd that... Uh, did you notice... So Rebecca and Sam are sisters. Does Sam have an American accent? I was confused by that. And they're supposed Rebecca's, to be sisters. Rebecca seems to have Just like Scottish. a way stronger accent than any... Judah, you said yeah. this was born yeah. caverns, but yeah, it's yeah. not in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sam is sound. Sam is the only one who sounds like she's from America. The other yeah. One. So, so I found that. Uh, Holly is definitely Scottish. Is yeah. all I'll say. Um, so I thought she yeah, was we, Irish, but I don't know. I think she, they I, all sound. I I don't know, man. Do you know? British to me, they're all British. Justin, I. Mm-hmm. My brother-in-law is from England, and when he married my sister, yeah, at the wedding there was a bunch of English people around. Yeah, so I walk up to this guy, and he's like, "Oh, I may, how you doing?" Yeah. And I go, "Hey, good. How are you? What part of England are you from?" And he goes, "I'm from the Australian part of England." Yeah. I'm like, "God damn it!" Like <laughs> <laughs> I. I, I yeah no. I don't know man I'm just terrible with it I just I'm just terrible with the accents. The only thing I would know is like if I hear something similar to a movie. Like if I hear people say they sound like they're in Train Spotting, they got to be Scottish. Or if they <laughs> if they sound like he sounds like Daniel Day Lewis and in the name of the Father, he's from Northern Ireland. You know that's funny because Craig Ferguson is my Scottish reference. Yeah, I watched a lot of Craig Ferguson Late Late Show after Letterman. Oh yeah, and uh, it, it, that's. Too, yeah. He's my reference. Anyways, um, so we we make it to this uh, cabin where they're all going to hang out, all these women. And we are introduced to um, Samantha and Rebecca, who we have said are sisters. And then we got Beth and Holly as well. And um, Holly is the, the newcomer, and she is Juno's, uh, what do they call it, mentee or something? Protege. Uh, protege. protege, yes, yeah. and she says, "Uh, yeah, Holly has been base jumping, and that's not enough of a rush for her anymore. And so now she's looking for the next adrenaline rush." Have you guys skydived? Have yeah, you guys I have. I've bungee jumped? I've skydived a couple times. Base a couple jumping, times. yeah. Base jumping sounds intense. Like if I didn't have a family, or like if I was a different. Like I, I, I would I consider doing that. I would definitely be scared, but I think it sounds pretty, pretty fun. I've skydived once from yeah. thirteen thousand feet with an instructor on my. Yeah, back. that's what I did. Yeah, but it doesn't skydiving, jumping out of the plane at that height. Mm-hmm. There was no sensation of height because everything looked like an abstract painting underneath yeah. me, yeah. and then falling. <clears throat> everything felt very slow and peaceful and yeah. I, I i didn't honestly <laughs> I, I i didn't get like a huge adrenaline spike i just kind of felt at peace with things and how quiet things were and stuff um yeah but base jumping or bungee jumping are almost like hell no's for me because Definitely that bungee sensation jumping of being is... so close to the ground bun- bungee adds, jumping yeah it, it adds so much danger and like terror to the whole yeah. thing josh what do you got uh the 
the discussion right now is giving me sweaty palms. <laughs> this, this jumping out of anything is not for me. So uh, it would be, I think when I, ever since I saw point break, I wanted to skydive when I saw point break as a kid. Uh huh. And, but it, it's not like Sean was saying the first time I had a frustrating day, like I went with a group of people and they all got to go before me for some reason. And then when it was finally my turn, I was kind of annoyed and they were waiting for me to go. So I went up and I was kind of frustrated. So I, w I didn't have a lot of anxiety about jumping. Second time was really cold out. It was like the first, it was the, um, I think it was June maybe or something. So uh, when it was that cold, it was like, as soon as you jump, it was like I funneled a Slurpee. That's what it felt like. Like I poured a Slurpee in a funnel and funneled it down because I just got instant brain freeze. So it was fun. But what I really wanted to do was go by myself, but it's just too much commitment. And to, you know, it's, don't you think, Sean, it would be more fun if you didn't have a guy on, on your back? Like you'd be able to like kind of do different things or like curl up in a ball or do something fun, you know? Yeah, I think it would be more like it would be more of an existential experience. Yeah. To be floating by yourself without a dude. Yeah. Because I was in charge of pulling the cord on the parachute. And obviously oh, yeah. this this guy was obviously going to pull the chute if I didn't. Yeah. But I had an altimeter on my wrist. And I was so engrossed in the flight that I knew the altitude. I had to pull it. And I didn't check until the last second. And I was at that altitude when I finally checked because I was just my mm. mind was wandering, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was, I was in a, a million other places at that point, just drifting. Um, and then of course he was being a weird guy of like, not with me, but with my friends of like, Oh yeah, you're going to get an airgasm. That's when you're, uh, you're yeah. scream so much that you lose your mind and blah, blah, blah. And you have a shot of a dopamine and blah, blah, blah. And I was just, I don't know. I, I was just kind of chilling, and yeah, it was cool. I, I, you know, I, I have like weird responses to things sometimes where I have anxiety about most things in life, and if it's like a human to human confrontation, I'll get a big adrenaline spike if there's like potentially a fight or whatever. And I've never been in a fight, and I don't want to be in fights. But you know, when you just get into it with people, but but then I have situations where. I jump out of a plane and I yeah, seemingly I have like a lack of response. And I, so I my don't question quite understand is, that about myself. How big of an adrenaline rush did you get when I said Matthew Fox wasn't <laughs> the best part of I I think you saw me kind of it's like take a half step back and yeah, jerk my head back <laughs> into the left. Yeah. Back into, into the, the left. left. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, because yeah, I, that, I hear that that was just no, I know that was shocking. I I can get down with that. How the adrenaline went, it's different. I'm less scared to jump out of a plane than I am to get in a fist fight. I understand that. Well, yeah, I don't want to get no because like jumping out of a plane is not going to have trauma memories associated with it. Hopefully but not. getting into a fist fight is going to cause me anxiety. Yeah. For years, like every time I think about that, I'm gonna have that like shiver down my spine of anxiety. You yeah. know, 
<sighs> anyway. The uh my next note is this little sequence introducing everybody sets up so much between the women with ever without ever getting too bogged down in specifics or anything. Uh it's so well done. And what the hell happened to Neil Marshall after this? <laughs> because he he's scared us already. He's done mm-hmm. well with the nature photography. He's mm-hmm. about to freak us out through tension, not shock, mm-hmm. but tension. Mm-hmm. And he's setting up all these characters so beautifully. I know. It, he gets not- a realistic performance where this this world feels lived in. These women do feel like they've been friends mm-hmm. for a long, long time. A lot of this script feels improvised as far as the cabin scenes and stuff. It just... Um, if you watch Dog Soldiers, it's a similar feeling with that movie where it's a low-budget movie, yet you can tell that these actors have spent enough time together to have actually built camaraderie. Right. And in that one, they actually went through like a false military boot camp, and Sean Pertwee, who was like the older actor on set, was their sergeant, and the movie kind of had the set had the vibe of the the act the characters itself where you know you had a bunch of young actors looking up to this older actor who's also pretending to be their sergeant and so i don't know what happened to neil marshall because he was able to create such realistic lived-in worlds in horror movies which is not something that's easy to do and then he just vanished i know oh he also did did you guys see centurion Mm-mm. It's like a Roman Roman army movie where a Roman army disappears in the fog one night and it's the story of what happened and it's very much one of those movies where it's um it has the 300 CGI blood splatter. Yeah. So it all looks really overstylized and yeah. It just I don't know. I don't know if he just never found a passion project again i mean he clearly had great success with tv directing mm-hmm. but i want i i wanted bigger and better things for him uh, have either of you seen his hellboy Mm-mm. no i i not i'm not a i'm not no, even you're... a del toro hellboy guy so yeah that's i mean i'm a hellboy dude from from way back i love the property um entirely like just the blending of uh fairy tales and Nazi mythology and uh, a badass demon uh, yeah. is just pretty awesome. But the, and I was entirely ready for uh, David K Harbor to play that character too. And the movie just totally let him down and it feels the comedy in it feels so forced mm-hmm. that none of the interactions feel realistic and the action isn't really all that well done. Mm-hmm. So Dave, David is it Harbor? Yes, he's the best part of Stranger Things. Yo, oh, yes, for me by far. Um, he he brings so much empathy to that role, and I don't know, I I, I love his character so much, and it yeah it bums me out, dude. Like Marshall had two really good indie movies with no budgets, and then it's like as soon as he had success he tried doomsday and that was just it's it's doomsday is so weird man i i you guys haven't seen it so it's like 
a Scottish Mad Max. Yeah. And then this, it, but it's also Escape from New York, but it's a woman. Uh, it's yeah, Rona it's, Mitra. It's, what's her name? Um, Rona Mitra. Oh, that's who it is? I was thinking it was, who am I? It's not Beckinsale. It no, looks like not Beckinsale. She, oh, Wait. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, though. I was thinking of someone else. It's Rona Mitra? Who Doomsday, is isn't it? Is it not Rooney Mara? No, no it's Rona Mitra. Holy yeah. shit. This is one of those moments where I'm realizing those are two separate people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's like the same thing. It's like, I don't remember the plot, but they have to send Rona Mitra in. And so she's Snake Plissken. And then they go into like, there's different factions. So one part of Scotland in post-apocalyptic is behaving like everything is medieval. And they have like medieval battles. And then there's another part of Scotland that's like all Mad Max where it's like punk rock and heavy partying. And it just, it was like, you know, when someone tries to just homage 80 things, but they never quite even establish their own thing. Yeah. That's kind of how that one felt, I think. Yeah. Um, All right. Let's get into this thing, man. Uh, this is an important part, which seems like a little awkward moment, but it's actually really important. They look at a photo, and Sarah says, love each day. And that's something Paul used to say, her husband. And it's a really awkward moment that causes silence amongst the crowd, but it pays huge dividends later. Uh, we go outside. Polly and Sam are smoking a joint. Sam seems to be trying to hide it. Go back inside. Everyone's drinking hard. Beth walks out in pajamas that she got that are floral print. I thought this was actually a really funny, delightful moment of <laughs> people just ripping your friends for some goofy shit they're wearing as I'm now wearing overalls. That's not goofy. That's charming and quirky. <laughs> this part I heard on the commentary or something that she they the costume design just they that wasn't written into the script, the whole thing where they make fun of her. It was just they she was supposed to wear those pajamas and then they saw how ridiculous and overdressed she was in those pajamas that they wrote that part into it or they made a little moment out of it there there's a great commentary track for this movie with neil marshall and a bunch of the actresses yeah and i think all the actresses have been drinking before they record yeah or something yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a pretty wild commentary track yeah. i meant to rewatch it before uh this recording uh they are eating marshmallows after a night of heavy drinking, that seems like a recipe to get sick. A bunch of yeah. sugar on top of a bunch of booze is that's a bad scene, man. Yeah, but mm. also just like the texture of marshmallow in your stomach inflating <laughs> with beer. And, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get a jump scare that still scares the shit out of me to this day. Yeah. Sarah wakes up in the middle of the night. She hears a, uh, some kind of hawk screech outside. She goes to look outside the window. There's a little kid giggle before the car pull, or the pull from the car, slams through the window and goes through her head. Even when I know this moment's coming, it still made me jump today. Yeah, same the here. Ti- the timing it of it. It always does. Yeah. Josh and I talked about um, Carpenter mm-hmm. and having the timing to know exactly when to push out a jump scare and this is a similar thing where 
I don't know what it is about this timing, but in the sound of like that giggle right yeah. before the pull hits. Oh god! Every time I jump. Mm-hmm. Same. Uh, Juno doesn't get hangovers. Uh, Justin. She's super fit. Juno does the leg thing. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's very uh, impressive. She's super fit. She's all of these women are, and I, I, I'm not gonna try to sound creepy here, but <laughs> when I, when I first watched this movie, like I, I for some reason as a 19 year old, I didn't key in on yeah. how attractive everyone is in this movie. Yeah, but as a 35 year old man, yeah, every single one of these women are smoking hot. I, I agree. I agree. And that's all we need to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Holly sets up a timer camera. They say sausage as they take their photo. Sausage is sausage. Uh, when Juno is out on her early morning run, she is crying as she's running, right? Or is she just I didn't sweaty? See, I didn't I see didn't, her crying. I didn't see her crying. Okay, because she looks like she's going through some shit as she's running, which I thought was like a little hint about her kind of conflicted nature. I think she's pretty cold-hearted. You know, it's interesting, but they, everyone thinks she has guilt over leaving too soon. Mm. But as we find out as the movie progresses, her true guilt is cheating on... Yeah. And Sarah's it's, and it's all her husband. fault, everything that happens, because she lied to everyone about this whole plan. She's, she's kind of the villain, right? I mean, yes. She she's, she's, she's didn't tell anyone where they, where they were going. Do you know... She's like... Do you know... She's, is, she's the person I, that everyone... That, She's the person to dislike, although she's very attractive. (laughs) (laughs) She's a really interesting character because it's like she she doesn't think she's doing wrong. I mean, well, cheating she does, but she thinks that somehow she's going to bring the group healing by going off on this different journey or like that she knows better and that but it's an ego you know, trip. But it's all Rebecca about her ego. It ego it's trip. all about right. everything's about fulfilling her ego. Right. And so no, I, I I'm totally with you that Juno is a villain. Yeah. And but there are moments as we'll go through this movie where I don't think it's quite as black and white well, as sure. it could yeah. be. So they drive to uh after this they drive to the cave site at one point um sam has a watch which she says is sentimental her boyfriend gave it to her holly says it's fucking mental i dump him on the spot i yeah. thought that was kind of some funny dialogue <laughs> well earlier holly uh the women were talking about uh their boyfriends or whatever and holly says that she doesn't have one she's a sport fuck like juno yeah <laughs> holly I love Holly's vibe. Yes. Holly's definitely the kind of woman that you would never be able to tie down. <laughs> or not, oh, Jesus. Brilliant. No, not, not that way, not that way. I mean, in a relationship sense, she's not going to settle in with you. No, she's no. going to break your heart if you think you're going to get that woman to, yeah, I mean, she's to jumping move off, in with you. And she's jumping off life. buildings. Yeah. You know? She's not. She's all right, Sean. Please edit that out. <laughs> she uh, Saturday says, night. 
She says that the cave they're going to might as well have handrails in a gift shop. She is, like, not enthused about the pansy-ass cave that they're supposed to go check out. Uh, When they get to the site, Juno leaves the guidebook in the car. And once again, I love how this movie doesn't, like, overly overdo these things uh, of Juno's real, like, one of her betrayals here is going in against the flight plan uh, that they had sent up to the forestry service about where they were going. Um, She like breaks all the rules of what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And she does it purposefully. And I like how it seems like minor things at the time as you're going forward until the shit really hits the fan. And then you understand how fucked she got everybody. Yeah. And I think it's uh, Rebecca says rule number one is follow a flight plan and stick to it or file submit a flight plan, which she has done. Yep. Rebecca has notified the forestry rangers of of their projected trip. And she's done as we see Rebecca again and again. She's the safety one. Yeah. She's the one that's always going to. Dehydration, frustration. When she's listening, all the part. Go ahead. Oh, paranoia. (laughs) Yeah. Dehydration, (laughs) frustration, (laughs) hallucination. Um, as we as the women hike up this path, this is a stunningly beautiful location. This river and these big boulders and everything that they're hiking alongside. Uh, just makes me want to get out and hike more than I than I do now, and kind of makes me want to kick myself for not getting outside more because it's just beautiful. Yeah. As they walk closer, they they come across a dead moose. Guys, is this dead moose related to the cave, or is this just a dead yeah. moose? I say yes. I think yeah. I, I think it's the crawlers. Well, they need to eat, right? So yeah, I would pictures think that later they, on they or... have. The crawlers have ways to come outside because they have to get their own yeah. animals and stuff. So Yeah, there's pictures at some point, cave drawings of of exits of the cave, and I think there's some kind of moose or deer. Isn't aren't, isn't, aren't there, isn't there animals drawn on the cave drawing? Yeah, yes, I think so. There are. To tell them where. So I assume, yeah. Rebecca and Sam are little are uh sisters. Sam, the little sister. Uh, is training to become a doctor. Uh, they find the cave entrance, and it's just a gigantic chasm into the earth. And there's a really cool shot where it's a really wide shot as they rope rappel down. And this definitely had me wondering if this was on location or if this was a map painting effect in addition to an on location shot or what this was. So I think when they when they the overhead shot uh and they look down that is they're looking down onto grass like there there was like a 3 foot little uh ledge there and they CGI'd the opening of the cave there that's what I saw recently when I watched the thing I think they they use CGI very sparingly and I think movies are should do that more often use it sparingly you know cuz there's a lot of practical stuff in there but that is one thing they CGI'd there I don't, I don't mind CGI, especially when it's, um, when it's location based, when it's background 
stuff in shots, that's not yeah. that noticeable. It's when they try to do stuff in the foreground that you're focused on. Yeah. That's when things seem to fall apart. Yeah. But I think that's a great usage of it because yeah. Justin, I didn't know that. And yeah. I feel like with how wide this next shot is with the women descending down on the rope, that yeah. there's no way that this was shot uh, through, you know, in camera. Right, right, right. Um, as they descend, uh, Holly has a camera. Holly's a hot shot, as we see, and doesn't take safety into account. She slides down way too fast, and Juno yells at her. Uh, this is going to come back to bite Holly in the ass later. Uh, there's a shot now where Juno walks forward, and it really reminded me, she's under the water falling, coming down through the hole in the earth, and it reminded me a lot of Harry Dean Stanton in Alien. Yes. There's a moment where he walks through the alien ship, and he kind of takes a little shower in this water thing that's like, inside the ship, there's water raining inside of it. Yeah. And I thought this was a really cool little moment. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, the way that the world is set up as first you see the big hole in the ground and then they go in and it's a huge cavern. And then Juno tells them that the only way out of the cavern is through the pipe at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And you realize this is where they start doing serious worm shit where yeah. you, they're squeezing in between two rocks that mm -hmm. look just about as wide as their shoulders to get through head first going straight down um, I, don't, I don't like see i don't like i don't think i would do something like this jumping out of a plane's one thing no i would go to or, like or, four yeah, like caverns an, where exactly an established you might cave. go yeah. on a pathway where you walk into a mouth of a cave and there's a pathway the whole way and then you either like loop back out the same yeah, mouth that or, would be cool but i am not as but how does juno from the first room the only way out of the first room is through a crack in the floor. Right. That they're then sliding down through a tube straight into the maw of the earth. I have a question. Is just It just dawns on me right now that because you say Juno says the only way the only way out of here is through this through the um this hole in the floor. Like, how does she know that? Has she ever been there? Yeah, She's not been there before. No, that's what I was wondering. Like. She couldn't have scoped out. She couldn't right. have even have gotten down there and back up. Right. Uh, so how did she even know that the opening was there? Yeah. That's. Mm, did she know there was an opening or was her plan the whole time to just, just to wing it? I don't to know. To revert back and. Wander they, through the know, woods they, until they she finds one. Well, they never really thought those about ropes. Did they leave those ropes from their entrance? Because they, they anchored those ropes in the ground. Yeah. So, theoretically, they would be able to then loop back yeah. the way they came until, as we see later, there's a cave-in. Yeah, so that's, I guess that's, 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 that's the point, point of no return, is that is the, the little avalanche, not avalanche, but cave-in, where it collapses there. I guess they, they don't have a choice. Um, so but yeah, they, maybe that was her plan the whole time, was to be able, we could always turn around if we get lost, you know? I don't know. That I, I would imagine, but as they descend, there's they start this the lighting in this movie is awesome, and they light a bunch of red flares, 
And guys, in this really wide shot that we get again, that must be a matte painting or something. Is that a crawler on the left side of the frame that sits down? There's some somebody standing on the left side of the frame that just like sits down into a cross-legged position. And I can't tell if that's one of the women or if that's a crawler on the side of the frame. So the Blu-ray has this thing called the underground experience. And like in the corner of the film, there's it's like a picture in picture and the cast and crew were showing stuff filming. And there was one part, I don't know if it's this part that you're talking about, where there was a crew member that was in inadvertently filmed. But I don't think it I don't think it would be as no, blatant. This was, it wouldn't be as this, blatant as what this you're talking about. This was blatantly yeah, on so the it, left side of the frame. If it was I would say it's a crawler, because there is a couple of parts where they're so far subtly in the background that there well, is a crawler, but I don't know. It, it's that really red shot and then you just get black silhouettes. Yeah. So yeah. I'm keep not an sure. eye out for it. Yeah. Um, it's up to this point that Juno apologizes to Sarah for not sticking around longer after the trauma that she experienced, mm -hmm. which is, I don't know, a really weird time to apologize to somebody. So the women, after they crawl, crawl through this, this serious darkness and the shot you were talking about is like, it looks like a comic book panel to me. Yes. Almost like totally. It's pure black around them, except for the red line that of it's, them it's crawling in the middle. Um, but they decide to sit down and have a bite to eat in this big cavern, and it's the last really sizable cavern that, that they're going to get into. Uh, they Holly mentions that the cave is a lot cooler than she thought it was going to be. I was just going to quote that. Yeah. <laughs> She's like cooler. looking around with her with her yeah. handy cam. This case a lot cooler than I thought it would be. <laughs> and the the whole concept here, even when nothing is going on, I am constantly reminded the fact that this is all happening underground. Like mm. I'm already on edge because everything is happening underground, and as a surface dweller, uh, that makes me <laughs> nervous. <laughs> extremely claustrophobic yeah i'm so stressed out watching this movie it's, this is, it's yeah. not even funny before the, before anything horror adjacent happens not not similar to bone tomahawk it's just very intense yeah and and, and you're on the edge of your seat not like you know especially with the descent because of the claustrophobic aspects it's just as an adventure scary adventure film it's just like oh I'm nervous watching it. You know? I know the tension for me is just building and building yeah. throughout the first hour of this movie until you get that release point of yeah. terror. <laughs> um, Holly, we find out, doesn't know about Sarah's trauma, which I feel like if you're going underground with somebody who recently went through an extremely traumatic experience, you might want to fill them in on like yeah. what's going on with everyone. Um, Rebecca is already suspicious of where they're at location wise, because as they start to crawl through this tiny little slat in a rock where you then have to go underwater and then slither through more rocks. <clears throat> Rebecca's like, wait, this is not, this is like, this how is not you... what the book described. And, 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 and Juno just goes, oh, you can't trust books. Yeah, it's like, no, 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 this was supposed to be like a tourist trap. There's no way tourists how? 
are doing this. So are we not at the part where they're on their when they have to crawl on their bellies through that? Yeah. Yes, we're at we're at so, the part so where how they go could through you, the narrow passage. Yeah, how could you not realize that this is this is not right? This is this wrong. Is, this is definitely not like when I was watching that, I'm like the how could they not know that Juno's lying to them because it's just so crazy like this cannot nope. be a tourist trap of of a cave they literally not, cr- not one of them questions it though yeah i know not one of them you don't see one character panic cuz that would be the guy that's panicking of like um guys i'm going to go back the way we came yeah. and uh i'll meet you back at the start or something like I'm that guy. Well, I'm not even the guy who's going down in this hole in the first place. But um, the the part when they're doing the army crawl through that through that narrow space is is really effective. It's just like at that point, that's when I was really nervous. I got real nervous watching the movie. You know, that's I was amazed at how they make all these caves cinematic throughout the whole thing and let you know that you're in a really small space like just thinking of the logistics of shooting like i know you you have to have a cutaway cave from one side and then you have to have like the hole from the front so you can get that shot and how do you light it without lighting the stuff around it uh and it's just and i thought the editing uh is really tight on this as well it's so uh kind of exacting with what it's showing you to never you don't linger in one space too long. When we watched um, Final Prayer not too long ago, be- yeah. because it's a found footage, you're kind of looking down the the mouth of the of the tunnel for a long time. Right. And I think you start, if you wanted to, you can pick it apart. But here, they keep things moving, and you never get that chance to like. Right. The, the tension never lets up. It doesn't right. relent. Yes. What? Very good. Speaking of that tension. What are people getting out of this? What I understand <laughs> skydiving and bungee well, like jumping I, and all that, but just like, what do you get out of this? Of like, oh, well, they're exploring. Like, I, I would, I like hiking and like finding cool spots. Hiking. Yeah, I, no, I, no, I, no, I, I love hiking. Like, and I wouldn't say no to doing like an underground cave thing. I would say no to what they're doing. But I guess they don't really know what they're doing. And they, you know, they kind of got roped into it. And then they just probably got caught up in it, you know, as adventurists. I mean, these girls are crazy, right? Especially Holly. Like, yeah. And we see that she, like, she takes point when they're going through this tiny little area. Um, she's the only one who seems to notice that the cave is, like, dripping goop. But yeah. I think for her, she's like, oh, that's some weird shit. Like, yeah. it, she just keeps pushing forward. And yeah. her personality is that she's going to go for whatever is the most adventurous at any moment. Yeah. Holly only pushes forward. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's her. To her detriment. Yes. Um, so they all make her w- their way through this really narrow passage, except for Sarah. S- excuse me. Except for Sarah, who is the last one. And Sarah has the rope bag. And this part. This Her morning, panic is watching so, this yeah. almost gives me, I'm not going to say almost gives me a panic attack, but I feel so stressed out in me this too. scene when Sarah has her panic attack, yeah. because this is where the claustrophobia of this entire movie yeah. completely sinks in for me, 
and I feel it sitting in my living room with all the lights off and this dark TV yeah. in front of me. I'm freaking out. It's so out. scary. It is, yeah. I hear people that have legit claustrophobia just can't can't watch this movie, you know? No, I, I wouldn't think so. completely understand. I'd say if I was close to a phobia, claustrophobia would probably be the, the one that I'm closest to having. Um, yeah, just shit. Don't I'm not going underground, man. There, there's no call <laughs> for it. That's I kept thinking that over and over in this movie. Uh, and when you guys are talking about jumping out of planes, I was like, you know, you could easily not do that. <laughs> there's lots of things. Yeah, uh, there's, I don't know. There's like, there's no, existential, I wouldn't do it now. I there's no it. existential dread 18. to jumping out of a plane. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, this is again where paying attention to the characters I really love Beth because Beth was the one who stayed at the hospital earlier when yeah. Sarah ran through the hallway and collapsed and Beth is there again and again yeah, and she's everyone like deserves everyone deserves a friend like Beth because yeah. Beth is amazing and she's the one that goes back and she tells Sarah the joke do you guys get this joke I don't is it just citrus sounds like clitoris? clitoris? I thought penis. Like I thought penis, but I don't know. How do you give a lemon an orgasm? Yeah, you tickle it citrus. citrus. I'm I'm guessing like that's penis, cl- citrus, clitoris, clitoris. I don't know. Clitoris. clitoris. Yeah, I yeah. guess clitoris is better than penis. Um, but depends on who you ask. My next <laughs> note is just a oh fuck when that rock moves. Yeah. Oh. Um, it reminded and, me of the. Uh, in the Goonies, when all the rocks fall, just the way that you see the series of them like starting to shake, and yeah. I wondered, did the crawlers set this up? Is that wow. part of the crawlers? Well, yeah. Why would this tunnel collapse? Like, yeah, I, don't, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think. I think it's just coincidence. I don't think this was a because the crawlers seem to use this for in and out passage so this well, they, yeah i guess they must huh uh this movie the first time i watched it was in the theater it was one of the first uh things that i ever got to go for like a press screening and oh, so yeah. it was a pretty empty theater kind of um before the theater opened they would do these and i had my legs pulled up into my chair I wish I had seen this in the theater. <laughs> it it Me was too. it was too intense. I I even at that point, as a brave, you know, however old I was twenty years mm-hmm. ago, uh, I I was like, no, I do not like this. I felt like there was even before the crawlers are introduced, I yeah, was already making exactly. them up in my head. I was like, no, there's yeah. too much shit going on. I yeah. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. So this movie is a movie that. I would show if people if I want to scare somebody, this is very high on the list of just like this movie will fuck somebody up mm-hmm. as far as just freaking them out. Yeah. Um. I, I I this time watching it, I did feel like the crawlers coming at fifty five minutes, and I did feel that the tension was a little deflated after that. 55 minutes versus the first up, half for me until for, it 
for me this time yeah like i felt like the, there was so much more tension in the I first would... 55 yeah I because agree i've that. Se- well like, and it's also because i've seen it so many times that yeah. i know i know where this is going to go yeah but i'm so bought in especially when in the first 55 you have all the characters there so you have yeah. the complete group dynamic and yeah. then as they start getting picked off yeah. you start to lose um some of that chemistry yeah but i in all the the all the tension that builds up and then the reveal of the first crawler is like one of my top jump scares yes that, that, that's oh, so good I, it's just so good and scary that after that it's still good but like everything up until that point and then and then that point's like the crescendo and then that reveal then is it, like what i wait or that's when i like i suddenly look around to see my friends who haven't seen the movie yeah. i don't want to look straight at them to give it away but i just want to gauge their response and it people freak out every single that's also time. um very a very good timed jump scare like you were talking about the other one when she's daydreaming in the window Hello? It, yeah because is the ca- yeah yeah, because the the camera, yeah, because the camera kind of shows it, and she's screaming, and then I always think it's gonna happen sooner than it does, you know. So it still surprises me. Yeah. Uh, so the rocks all collapse, but Sarah and Beth make it out. We get another birthday cake cut to black when there's the big dust explosion, and Sarah is uh, seeing her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um. Rebecca has figured out that they are not in Borum Caverns. They're somewhere else. So Juno admits that she did not bring the guidebook uh, after they call her out on being in a different cave. Like, it all happens real fast. She didn't bring the guidebook. Someone realizes they're in a different cave. They realize the plans they filed aren't going to do any good. And the women just begin arguing. But Juno is really the only <laughs> the only one at fault here. Uh, yep. And they have to move forward now. There's like there's no going back and there's yep. no telling if there's actually a way out forward. They just have to keep moving. Moment two, as far as Juno cheating on Sarah's husband is here when Juno tells Beth that we all lost something in that crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next scene, which is one of my favorites we get the women approach a giant chasm with about a 20 foot gap and they have to cross it and oh, this yeah. is a uh, rebecca this is rebecca right who is com- rebecca and sam she, i find a little she, tricky to rebecca is the one who who free climbs it without Re- the rope yeah this is where rebecca yeah. shows she's super badass and um, how hard does that look man impossible <laughs> just I can hold I can hold myself up for like eight seconds by my hand grip, let alone what she's doing and doing it one handed yeah, and then reaching insane. up to plant those. And it's at this point that she sees one of those old timey right. cast iron spikes up in yeah. there. Yes. In my notes, uh, I wrote that um, Rebecca has to get across the, the ceiling and set a line for the others. Uh, so they can hang on it and get across. Mm. And I'm having a hard time typing because my hands are sweating so much. <laughs> <laughs> and what are the mountaineering things that she's yeah. sticking into the cracks? It's like a spring loaded catch that uh, you can put a carabiner on and put a rope through. 
It looks mm-hmm. like yeah, it looks like some little device that expands its radius mm-hmm. but then locks it in place. So you can squeeze it into a gap and then it somehow expands the radius of it but uh, but holds. Yeah, it looks like it collapses only one way. Oh, yeah. okay. When you push up in between two rocks, it'll collapse that way, and then when you pull it down, it will lock. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then if like if you push up, you'd be able to maybe free it up or something. Yes. But once you push it up, you can't pull it back down. Pretty badass. Yeah. Um, so Rebecca's able to make it across, and then they throw the second flight or the second rope, excuse me. And they're able to make it across. Uh, but Juno decides that they need to take the ropes with her. And so Juno, being the badass and can't be one-upped, decides yeah. that she's going to take all of the safety ropes. And... She fucks it up, though. Yeah, she biffs it a bit. And she <laughs> drops, and thank God they anchor her. <laughs> she slams against the, the side of the cliff. Yeah, Juno's really, Juno's really batting a thousand in this movie. <laughs> like, morally, you know, <laughs> in all her choices and everything. Whatever, man. She can lift her leg vertically over her head. She's fine. Yeah, she can. <laughs> equipment. The the climbing equipment is over 100 years old. Uh, is this when Juno um, says that nobody's... Uh, we've already heard that nobody's ever been down here before. Yeah, yeah she said that earlier. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that, okay. And they must not have gotten out, was what she says. So next scene, we have a cave painting, correct? Yeah, so the cat's out of the bag now. But... Yeah. So they come across a cave painting. Beth demands that everybody stops to light a second flare, even though they can't uh, spare the light. But in doing so, they see that there's two entrances to the cave. And this is really where um, that Carpenter thing music really sounded. It was like, boom, boom. The cave painting shows that there's two entrances to the system. Then that gives them hope. Yes. That they might be a way out. Uh. Yeah, and then Holly thinks she sees daylight and just starts booking for it. It does look like daylight. Yes. Yeah, but don't sprint in the dark. No, because you fall just in a don't... big old hole. She's panicking, oh. though. She's, I mean, I she know. wants to get the fuck out. And I, I, I get it, but... Oh. And Josh, you know what's funny is we talked earlier in um, Borderlands about phosphorus creating sound effects mm-hmm. and now in this movie we have phosphorus creating light effects yeah. as uh somebody else gets fucked up by them and so holly falls down a terrifying wormhole and mm. slams into the side of the wall she straight up does a, a titanic where the guy hits the propeller halfway down that's what i oh, thought of because she just yeah. like free falls and then smack oh it yeah. looks and I know it's movie magic, folks, but it looks yeah. so painful. Yeah, it really does. You hear the bone snap. And, and uh, yeah, she has a Patrick Wilson. Yep. That was, <laughs> I said, movie connection, field surgery on legs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, this one is worse. Well, which, which, which field surgery scene do you think is worse just for your stomach? Oh, man. I think for me personally, uh, the descent is a little bit more, makes me wince a little bit more. And I think the main reason is because they are in full panic mode at that mm-hmm. point. Whereas Bone Tomahawk, they're a little bit more, they're not in danger just yet. 
the so descent, the, so, so, they're so, also they're it's wet yeah and like gross cave water yeah. and just the thought like even if you do get out the amount of gangrene or whatever that's going to set into that leg is astronomical yeah but uh and in bone tomahawk the guy at least had some opium yeah that's true like good shit holly has to bite down on uh yeah. some gear some climbing gear or something here that's yeah. all she has anyway i i don't like bone stuff <laughs> <laughs> i've never liked bone stuff yeah don't like worm shit don't like bone stuff mm-hmm. no um but we are approaching uh the real climax of the movie here uh, this is where Sarah goes off on her own, and Sarah sees the crawler for the first time. She finds an old mining helmet as well, and the the close-up of the mining helmet to the distance shot of the crawler, and I feel mm-hmm. like this is where I think that um, Neil Marshall shows real directing chops, because he keeps you away from it, and shows it clearly enough that you know that it's there, but doesn't go in for like the goopy uh, and the scarification and all that right away. He mm-hmm. waits to reveal that uh, later. Mm-hmm. And just the, the chittering sounds that it makes are so yeah. creepy. And yep. uh, the other women don't believe her that there's <laughs> that she saw somebody because, you know, they're two miles underground trapped in a cave. It seems totally logical that, yeah, there's nothing there. She's making shit up. She's, uh, they already talked about how your, your mind plays tricks on you in this situation. Yeah. That line, two miles underground. Uh, fuck that. <laughs> so they climb to a new place. There's dead animals all over the place. There's corpses everywhere. I just have, I love the, the close-up of Sarah's face when she's looking and she thinks she sees the crawler off in the dark mm-hmm. and they give they show her up kind of up close and her pupils are huge and it, that was really fun and scary to me because like you're, you she's in the dark and she thinks she sees something just imagine being in a dark cave and you think you see something that is not uh pleasant off in the distance your eye you know because your eye your pupils get big in the dark i just thought it was effective you know yeah uh they climb to a new place yeah and they find all those dead animals and Holly has the night vision camera. And all my note is just, here we go. Yeah. And so they're looking around. They just start screaming. Somebody! <laughs> and my God, when that thing is just standing behind them, and that timing of you get a half a yeah. moment to look yeah. at it before, yeah, before it reaches out, yeah. and then it's climbing on the ceilings, and they're all screaming, and they all run separate directions. Mm-hmm. So we get all the women split up. And this is where, honestly, one of it's one of my favorite like sequences in horror for like the rhythm of it for everything. Yep. Holly and Juno run off together. Holly gets one of the crawlers to jump on her, and the mm-hmm. way the rhythm of this is edited, where it bites her neck and then yeah. splits, and yeah. you get a spray of blood, and she yeah. collapses. So There's good. something rhythmic about it. Yeah. And then this next fight where Juno's fighting for Holly's body and a second crawler comes out 
And you can just tell that these two actors, the crawler actor and Juno, they are going for it. They are full on viscerally wrestling each other where it does not. This does not feel like it has choreography. This fight between the two of them, it feels like reptilian. Other parts of that rhythm that you were talking about is, I don't remember which character it is, but is running and falls and hits her head on a rock and her headlight goes out. And then another one of them falls in a puddle. And then her head comes out of the puddle, soaking wet, screaming, mm-hmm. right? And Yeah, I love the cross that, all that's during yeah, this part really, is, is, is yeah, great. Top notch, yeah. This is where they start to introduce the different colors as well um, for being different sections of kind of the the crawler's cavern. Um, where Juno is, it's lit by, uh, I think, a yellow emergency flare. Mm-hmm. And then later we see like a cool blue color of, I guess, the, the phosphorescence and then green emergency uh, uh, glow-in-the-dark sticks and then fire. Yes. Uh, as it's almost like a progression to that fire and blood room that you get later. Uh, but it's such a good way to keep track of the geography and you don't have to see the characters faces cause they're kind of cloaked in darkness most of the time, but yeah. you know exactly who you're looking at because of that color coding. And I thought that was brilliant. I might watch this movie tonight. I've seen it, <laughs> I've seen it 150, I've probably seen it a hundred times. So do you know, being an absolute fucking badass kills the second crawler that attacks her and then in a state of absolute berserker shock yeah something approaches her from behind and she josh rails put, her josh climbing put a pen to his neck just as you whoa josh what are you doing uh uh yeah poor beth our poor favorite beth, beth, our beth the heart of the movie the most altruistic of all of them yeah killed, killed by our nemesis <laughs> okay so beth beth drops beth grabs juno's necklace as she collapses to the ground and mm-hmm. juno the actress natalie mendoza i believe is her name um yeah is excellent in this moment of complete shock and so i understand what she's done yeah and then, like, Beth says, like, don't leave me. But at the yeah. same time... Yeah, what are you going to do? The circumstance is so beyond human comprehension yeah, no. that I don't quite feel we can hold people to the same moral standards that we would otherwise. I mean, she's in a, a battle zone right now. It's like, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a war zone. It's. Have you ever seen Deep Star 6? No. Oh wait, is that the one with the cover with half of a uh, the suit? Uh, the under. <laughs> yes, I think it is. Yeah, it I, is rem- I remember. The suit. I remember that from right. ages well, ago. In in comparison to what's happening now with Juno, there's a character in that who he's in, he's like one of the guys. He's in RoboCop. He's like the guy who who's he's RoboCop's like designer. That guy. Okay. But anyway, he's like. It's like our alien ripoff with an underwater creature. They're they're in a they're in a deep water expedition, mm-hmm. and uh, but he bails and abandons people. Like it happens like five times at the first sign of the monster. Like, but it doesn't play. It's not it's not a comedic play. It's supposed to be serious, but it's in, it's inadvertently very funny because every time the monster shows up, he just 
he screams and runs and then they all i don't know but as far as uh juno i think juno is a little bit more understandable or it's more uh relatable her humor the decision she makes here to abandon beth the two sisters rebecca and sam have been split up they're on their own sarah who got knocked out as we said before when she hit her head she has another daughter dream except this time the dream her daughter turns into a crawler um she she wakes up and she sees skulls she sees a wolf head which i thought this might be a dog soldier's homage right oh nice by neil marshall Mm -hmm. um sarah finds the camera she finds holly's camera and this is where the sisters are hiding together rebecca and sam and they climb up on the ledge and my notice chekhov's watch starts beeping (laughs) um juno comes to everybody's rescue at different times by hollering for them and drawing the crawlers away from their positions for a moment comes to their rescue not not by any way that she yeah it's totally her on accident and fuck uppery that she does it i wanted to point out the 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 green lighting the green lighting in this scene with the two sisters hiding there the makeup on these crawlers is pretty exceptional later on when we see the the eye movement on the Mm -hmm. crawlers and the close-ups and how slimy they are and everything and just the the actors performances in Mm. those costumes yeah to be crawling around and everything it's it's really really good stuff yeah yeah so juno's walking around screaming sarah finds a knife and an old lantern and she's able to make a torch with holly's clothing wrapped around a bone i wonder how long a torch like that would actually last i don't and it goes through some shit too and it stays lit so what did she soak what did she soak it in did they show it but like it's like the indiana jones torch there was an old like kerosene lantern that she found down there okay so she was able to shake out the remnants of that onto the torch so uh juno spots one of the creatures and takes off after it wielding her trusty murder and axe her uh, pick yeah yeah her the climbing pick um and this is one of those sequences i was talking about where nothing happens it's all the shots of the women sneaking around different areas while the mm-hmm. creatures lurk kind of just in the corners of the frames and just you know it kind of just out of your sight line um and it's fantastic yeah i don't really know how you how you script something like this i totally get how you structure it as as the edit but -hmm. as far as getting the shots done i i would lose my mind of like okay nobody's talking there's no specific reactions it's all built kind of in the edit and um i think it's kind of telling that the editor for this went on to direct the sequel actually yeah so you know he had kind of a hand on it i have I saw it once. That's unfortunate. Oh, is it? It's not. It's, don't. Just don't bother. Oh. That's a shame. Taking it off the list. Okay. It's not good. No. 
That is sad. Poor, yeah, poor John because, Harris. Because of how much I loved this movie, the second one came out, and I was I was pretty happy about it. But yeah, I saw it once. Don't need to see it again. I mean, I saw it once. I've seen this one over a hundred times, probably. So. Right. <laughs> so that's that's telling in and of itself, right yeah. there. One of the women starts getting in a tussle with one of the crawlers, uh, and Juno comes to her rescue for realsies. Uh, and she tells the other women that she found the markings of the old crew that had explored the cave, uh, and they point to the way out, but she's not going to leave without Sarah. What's stopping her from leaving without Sarah at this point? Like, Juno's a shit already. Yeah, maybe she's trying to redeem herself in some way. Maybe she's... Yeah, I don't know. It is a bit of a stretch. Like, yeah. all of a sudden... After all the stuff that she's done, she has a change of heart. Like, or maybe like more to Sean's point, her abandoning Beth is more an instinct to survive rather than a act of self selfishness. I don't know, but I was also freaked out. Of do those arrows point the way into the cave or the way right. out of the cave? Should I be going the opposite way of these arrows or towards these arrows? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. But she also tells them that Holly and Beth are dead. So she keeps telling people that Beth is dead. But Sarah finds Beth. Beth yeah. is not dead. Um, and this part, this part broke my heart and really crushed me because of my focus on these characters. Beth being such a constant friend and supporter. Beth does not deserve this death that she has coming here. I mean, yeah. Beth doesn't deserve anything, but the fact that she's there now with Sarah and Sarah tells her that she's not going to leave her as Juno did. And then mm. Sarah pulls Juno's necklace and I can't quite understand Beth's line, but it's something along the lines of like, I'm sorry, or I knew or something about like the, the affair that Juno had. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I know she, something along the lines of, yeah, what you said. But the necklace, Juno's necklace it's, says... It's ambiguous. Love each day. Love each day, which is... It's just something Paul used to say. Ooh! <laughs> You've been hiding it. I found an old drawing uh, that they used. This was the proto for the crawlers. Oh, that looked... Yeah. <laughs> Have you been doodling that this whole time? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a uh, four hours. Yeah, that's four hours of work. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, waiting to drop it in this moment, too. <laughs> so, Sarah asks. Sarah has to kill Beth, and when she tells Beth to close your eyes, I don't know something. Something about that just broke my heart. Yeah. And almost immediately afterwards, she's attacked by a crawler. Sarah is clearly now broken into whatever monster mode she's going to be in because she boot stomps this. And mm -hmm. we get this badass shot where now Sarah is terrifying and has crazy eyes. The So she's jumped by the first littler one and kills it, like, just badass style. Another one comes investigating. And she takes off uh, running and 
is this in fact a pit of blood in which she falls? Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely a pool of blood. A lot of blood. Where did it all come from? Yeah, that's a lot of blood to like not keep not coagulate, I guess. Yeah. Uh and there's an awesome they do the the move from Predator where Arnold comes up out of the water. Except yeah. for they do a double because the the crawler is right behind her. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh double predator. Yeah. Uh and Sarah comes out of the blood. She finishes off the one that was behind her and another one. Like she is full on beast mode at this point, just tearing these things apart. What did she use? Was that a tooth or an antler that she used to stab it in the eyeball? It was a bone tomahawk. Wow. Good job, <laughs> Thank Josh. You. Yeah, I, I think it is an antler though. But uh right? A deer moose. Yeah. No, something. there's no it doesn't look like a jaw. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it's an antler. Um then we go back. There's lots of crawlers coming for Juno as she looks at Sarah. Um, Sarah does her own badass crawler yell as she does the cover box war cry. Yeah. Um, Sam, I believe Sam is now at the chasm and Sam has no gear and a fucked up hand from when Juno fell and she got a rope burn. Mm-hmm. Is, this is Sam, right? Not yeah, Rebecca. Sam. And so Sam starts to free climb it. And there's a spinning shot of her where she's mm-hmm. on the ceiling. Yeah. I find yeah. that really disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. It's after doing all that work and doing all the footwork of here's the geography of this place. You know where each person is. At this point, we're like full tilt boogie just going for it. Mm-hmm. You are in panic mode along with them. You do not know which way is up even. And once again, I have no idea how they did this with like, all the walls that you see as the camera is flipping around her. Uh, and one of the crawlers skitters across the ceiling towards her and manages to slit her throat, but she stabs it and knocks it down into the water far underneath them before she dies. And the way that her body hangs there from the ceiling, like the one hook that she managed to find and get into the ceiling and She's just hanging by her middle as all the blood drains out of her neck. It's just, yeah. Like, I don't want that to be the box art, but it's a pretty good still shot just in and of itself. Yeah. It could be a poster. It looks awesome. Josh, I love that you say skitters because it always makes me think of that Mr. Show sketch about there's too much dust or something. That's what's the sketch? There's a doctor that's teaching people a new way to walk. Because now we have too much dust, yes. it's all going to go into space or something. Yes. And, uh, and so you got to skitter. skitter. You skitter, skitter. Skitter. And Bob Odenkirk <laughs> is just screaming at people about skittering. Uh, uh, so really anytime anybody uses that word, uh, it makes me laugh. <laughs> so at this next point, this really bummed me out. I feel like Rebecca deserves a better death because a crawler basically comes up from behind and grabs Rebecca and mm. tears into her stomach. Yeah. And Juno bails. Juno jumps into guts. the water. Yeah. And the crawler that um Sam had killed theoretically and sent down there still has a knife in it. And it comes back to life in the underwater, which I love this part that like this movie is now doing underwater shit in addition to being underground, uh-huh. you know? Uh so Juno lands in it. And I love the blood flow as she's able to 
grab the knife and then slide it through this thing to kill it and create a gigantic wound. After this, she's a complete badass and scales a waterfall, which I... Good luck if I ever have to do that to save myself. Not gonna happen. No. No, I'm dying at the bottom of a waterfall. That's that's how that ends. <laughs> As she's about to fall from the waterfall, but Sarah grabs her, but it's not really Sarah anymore. Yeah. Juno tells Sarah that she saw Beth die. Sarah knows this is bullshit. And uh, this, to me, reminded me, as they're running through these tunnels, they're lighting off a ton of flares. This reminded me again of the thing, of the ending, where you got two characters left, and they're just lighting shit up left, right, and center, creating as much fire as possible. Uh, and both of them are kind of skeptical of how trustworthy the other is. Uh, Sarah is full savage at this point. Uh, the women run into a room, and three of the, the creatures are waiting for them. And when they attack, the women just fucking tear them apart. Uh, Sarah <laughs> gouges one of their eyes out with her thumbs, yeah. and just like the look on her face as she's doing it. I mean, it's such an old gag. I watched Evil Dead the other night, uh, yeah. and they they do the exact same thing. Um, yeah. But you know, it's not sold nearly as well as it is here. Spoilers for Twenty Eight Days Later coming. Three, two, one. You guys seen the end of Twenty Eight Days Later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Jim puts his thumbs, thumbs. through that soldier's eyeballs. Oh yeah, right. Oh right. my god! I remember yeah. my sister like gasping when I showed yeah. her that movie. <laughs> yeah, that one's horrific because uh, it's a dude you know, and he's still just that same dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would never. That's such. A, I would never. If I had to defend myself and kill someone. I don't want to stick my thumbs in their eye, through their eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... Justin, there's other options. Yeah, because you could you could knee one in the balls as Juno yeah. does repeatedly. Yeah. Could, I think you could bite one in the neck as Sarah does, or you could smash one's skull on a bunch of rocks. So you got multiple options. You don't have yeah. to just right. throw your thumbs in there. Yeah. The way that sarah is shot at this point she like it's fully hero looking uh and as she holds out the axe as she's facing juno and juno knows some shit is about to go down but she's not quite sure what and then sarah lets the necklace fall from her hand and so so juno can see it which shows two betrayals yes it shows the cheating on her betrayal and then leave, the, the murder arms. of Beth at Beth. the same time, which, again, I, I know I've picked up on this stuff before, but I forgot about it. So for yeah. me to watch this movie for, I don't know how many, like the 10th time now or something, and still to have this moment of like, oh, shit, that's like the <laughs> necklace is everything, you know? It was a choice to not show Juno get killed here, I suppose with possible thinking of a, a, a sequel. No. Well, yeah, so Josh and the sequel. Oh, well, Juno, are you going to watch it? I might watch no. it to fall asleep one night, but that's not, uh, that's not serious watching. That's, well, that's to fall asleep we, watching. 
can we spoil it? Oh yeah, go for it. So Juno's alive in the sequel. See, that's a shame. Because they don't show her get killed. And it's the American ending of the movie where Sarah drives out. Where she made it out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's bad. Yeah. But she's still down there. Just uh, I forget. Yes, Josh, as you pointed out, my next shot, my next note is Sarah has crazy eyes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Sarah dumps her climbing axe into Juno's leg through the knee, looking like, um, and then bails on her to leave her behind as Juno has always left behind all of her friends. Juno rips the axe out of her leg to turn and fight one last time as the true badass woman that she is. Uh, Sarah falls down a chute. There seems to be light. I love this next bit where this music that swells, you feel this this accomplishment and this this feeling of like freedom as she climbs and then there's that shot where it's a 45 degree angle light shaft shot as she's climbing up this mm-hmm. ramp of bones and mm. that's for me one of the iconic shots of this movie and when she breaks through and she gasps for breath and Marshall has overexposed that shot so bright that your eyes have to adjust just as hers do it's so effective because every time that first shot that she makes it into daylight, I'm I'm shocked with the mm. amount of light in my eyes. I have to like turn away from the TV just to let my own eyes adjust to it. Yeah, the the mountain of bones. Uh, every shot in there. There's only a couple of them, but once again, they look straight out of comic books. Like it's just a huge black frame with the the light trailing up the mountain of bones as she's like sure. scrambling up there uh and then the hand punching through the moss and everything mm-hmm. looks like it looks like the end of Carrie when her hand reaches up yeah uh spoilers for Carrie sorry i'm not as good at this <laughs> as you are sean <laughs> i don't well, care if people it's, saw it i don't know it's certain movies like when we talked about malignant and stuff i don't want to spoil yeah, brand new stuff. stuff. Yeah, but I don't know, Carrie. So, what's the story? If you guys could fill me in on, I know what the two endings are. Is just that the the original ending didn't test well or something for America, so they changed it. Or you know what goes into why they do that? Yeah, I think because one one is Amer. You said American ending, right? Yeah. Sean? So, well, let me let me just uh, get through here, and we can talk about it. So. Sarah gets to the car after she escapes up the hill. We get a real nice butt shot for Sarah as she's slithering out of that hole um, Saturday <laughs> oh, <boy>. night. <laughs> she drives super fast at one point. The car gets like three feet of air. And I honestly thought she was going to get to a car crash just driving like a maniac out of here. Mm. So I want her to slow down. She gets to the highway. She pulls off. There's a truck scare as I've never seen a truck do a jump scare before, but this movie does it. As yeah, the truck came out of nowhere. She rolls down the window, pukes, and this is where we see Ghost Juno in the passenger seat. And yeah. in the American version, it the movie there. cuts to black here. Yes. With Ghost Juno in the, go- in the passenger seat. In the original ending, the one that I feel I've always seen, I think, we then cut back, and Sarah once again has had a dream, and she's waking up, and yeah. she's still in the pitch black. And she has her torch there, 
and she hallucinates that her torch is the birthday cake with her daughter sitting across from her. And then, but then we pull back, and her daughter is not there. And she's by herself. It's just that. So I feel like the, that original ending makes more sense to me. The, the yes, the the pessimistic one where the pessimistic one she makes does more not sense. escape. Yes, yeah. I agree. I, like I think even thematically with the dream. Ghost, know, her, her, Ghost her, Juno makes no sense. Yeah. But, uh, other than it being part of a nightmare that she might be having when she's down. But the I I do love the whole escape portion. Uh she reminds me a lot of Marilyn Burns in Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the end. Yeah. Like Yeah, she does, yeah. The wild eyed Yes. She's basically screaming the whole time. She's running just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and uh, the score is it's yeah. this this big music I mean, moment as she's driving out of there and you feel so big and as an audience the further you get away from that cave the more relief we feel and just like my god she fucking made it she you know yeah. she did it and I mean, I it doesn't, want, it doesn't feel earned because these women I feel like we haven't seen much lateral movement I feel like we've seen a lot of them going down but I don't. I, it never feels like we see them moving towards an exit. We see a couple of arrows here or there, but there's really not any sign to show All any sudden, optimism. Yeah, yeah. Like geographically, where she was, I don't know how she would come across the whole. Like you said, the whole movie. Uh, it just feels like you said they're moving deeper and deeper. Like, why would there be all of a sudden? you know, a 10 foot thing that she has to scale that she could get out. Right. So geographically, it doesn't make sense. It also doesn't make sense that. So is it is saying that she's in the car and even though she's out, she's mentally tortured, I guess. Is that's what it is. So that's not, it's optimistic in that she's alive, I guess, but not overly optimistic. That's the, so but, that's, but uh, I don't lie. I want her to get out. Obviously, you know, I, she's been through hell. Yeah. But I just, I don't think well, it yeah. was. And the title, The Descent. Yeah. We never talk about titles in the show, but The Descent into Hell and. Yeah. The, and Madness. The thing is, so many horror movies, like if the person, if there is a final girl who gets away in the end of it, uh, they're not. They're not good. They're not right. Yeah. It's like your life is going to be fucked from that point going forward. You always have this massive trauma to deal with. Uh, and I mean, I have no idea how you would recover and be a functional member of society. That's why I do like um, in the, the Halloween movies, what they're doing with Jamie Lee Curtis's character in the new ones. Uh, and even in, what was it? H2O where, uh, she still like she had a drinking problem in that one, yeah. and it's her 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 flawed coping mechanism from yeah. her childhood trauma, and yeah, I think it's such a good way to kind of explore that aspect of it that doesn't really get touched on because we're supposed to feel if it's a upbeat ending that they get away and cool it's good now, <laughs> and yeah, like uh. Spoiler warning for the Fear Street movies. Three, yeah. two, one. 
but uh, the end of that is somewhat triumphant, and or at least it's supposed to be. But I can't help but think that all those people are horribly wounded people now and are going to need years of therapy to even function in society at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%, man. Sure. <laughs> um, Josh and Justin, what do you guys think of the final, final shot here as it's that pullback and it looks like a map painting or something? I don't quite know how that works for me where you see Sarah kneeling in front of the thing but then we zoom so far back but it doesn't it doesn't have that feel of like a big cavern mm-hmm. I, I don't, it feels strange that last shot to me because it's blackened out pretty much around the perimeter isn't it of yeah. the shot like uh, I don't know I guess I haven't put much thought into it I think it's Shows her isolation a little bit more, you know, it's more accentuated, I guess. Not that it could be much more accentuated. I mean, but still, I don't know. I think it's, I don't, I don't mind it. Yeah. 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 I think it's not of a piece with the rest of it because we don't get anything. uh, I mean, that early shot of them going through that first passage is kind of similar, but it still isn't as wide as this one is. I don't feel. Yeah. Right. Well, gentlemen, that brings us to the end of about four hours worth of badass cave-dwelling troglodyte-filled horror movies. Oh, Justin, what would you give um, The Descent after watching it a hundred times? What would you rate it after five? (laughs) I have to give it a five. Both, Both of these movies get a five for me. A gentleman's 10 from Justin today. Wow. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> Do you guys always go this long? Four, four hours, four and 24? Or is it pretty uh, much? We did last week with Umar. Yeah. So you're right there with the longest okay. of them. This, uh, Sean, it's going to be me this week that says it. I thought this was going to be a quick one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I de- if I derailed it all. I apologize. This entire show's derailment. That's yeah. all this show is. <laughs> we don't talk about That's movies. We we record the show for the tangents, not for the movie discussion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um Alright. This movie for me, I first saw the descent. I saw Neil Marshall interviewed on Attack of the Show, which was a G4 TV yes. show that I watched back in the day. And so this movie came out in 2005. This was like my infancy as a horror fan. Mm-hmm. And I remember them talking to him about the lighting that they used. And I do think the lighting in this movie is awesome. Like it's, it's clearly not a hundred percent like in camera where like you see a green glow stick and that's the only light. But mm-hmm. the fact that they use a green glow stick to then get the entire shot, a complete green wash mm-hmm. feels so cool. Yeah. Um, I've grown up with this movie. You know, there's there's a, a part or two where I want to pick it apart now after seeing it 10, yeah. 20 yeah. times where like right. where like there's the one where like the two sisters get separated and then the crawler is hanging from the ceiling and it pops down and goes like, Wah! yeah, it's a little cheesy, but yeah. yeah, I know that. Yeah, but I can't pick it apart, man. And I got to remember how I felt the first viewing. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going five stars also. Yeah. Sweet. Josh, where you at, bud? 
as we have discussed recently, I think you guys swayed me and I bumped it up half a star to four and a half. It's just, nice. yeah. This this show, man, this show always bumps things up at least a half star for me. It, it makes me appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, both of these movies tonight were they're newer movies, you know. Uh, you guys tend to do, well, you do a good mix of, you know, stuff stuff more than 10 years old and then stuff that's recent. Thank still, you. I think these two movies are good. Uh, are, are, are two of the best of the last, uh, I guess this is, it sends out almost 20 years now, so I can't even say that, but still. Yeah. God, don't say that, Of the that, 2000s man. plus. The Descent has been out for years. 16 years. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Could the Crazy. universe please stop? <laughs> but, Sean, are you going to do our our patented sign-off that everybody knows? No, because, uh, Justin, do you have anything to plug? Oh, anything good you want to share? Anything you want people to check out? It could be movies, it could be other podcasts, a band um, you're into, like, Whatever, man. Just anything you want to shout out. Yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I don't have anything to plug. Uh, no, man, I'm good. I got nothing. I don't. I rack in my brain. I got nothing. What's one yeah. movie that you want our listeners to watch? Okay. I am. I started watching uh, the Fun House. Did you see the Fun House? The Toby no, Hooper film. Heard of it? Yeah, is it Toby Hooper? Yeah. Yes, yes. Have you seen it? Yes, I love it. All right. Yeah, I started watching that last night, and I saw about 45 minutes of it, and it's really, really good so far. So I think you should go watch that. Okay, there you go. Josh, what do you got to plug? Um, This show I do called Nashville CA. That's... Hey, it sounds good. (laughs) Thank you. What's that about? You don't want to (laughs) know. Edit the part out that I didn't know that Toby Hooper made. <laughs> <laughs> you forget I don't know how to edit. <laughs> now, um, wait, are you talking about Funhouse, The Funhouse, or Funhouse? Because those are two different I movies. It's called, I think it's called The Funhouse, and it's from 1970-something. 1981? I don't know. I have to look it up. Not, the one that's brand new is not the one I'm talking about. There's okay. one called Funhouse that's brand new. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. Okay, cool. I'm going to plug the song Wooden Soldiers by Modest Mouse. That's the that, that's what you should check out. <laughs> How was the Modest Mouse show? Awesome. It was yeah, it was great. It's an outdoor yeah. amphitheater in Portland and nice. As far as COVID safe shows go, yeah, yeah. being outdoor with a yeah. lot of mass compliance until you get to where you're hanging out. Yeah. It felt good, man. And yeah, Modest Mouse is just, you know, they're one of my favorite bands. So. I can't wait to see a band again. So. It's it's pretty good. I don't know if you know this, but live music, it's pretty cool. It is pretty good. Yes. Um, Indeen. Indeen. <laughs> Justin. Yeah. It's 12.30 a.m. there. Yeah, it is. Did you think you'd be recording for four and a half hours? Because <laughs> we told you between three and four hours. 
Uh, yeah, I, I I knew it was gonna be a long one. <laughs> I expected it. Well, and plus, I, looking at the clock when we were like less than halfway through Bone Tomahawk, I, then I really just settled in and said, right, it's "Do you know every time we record, I think things are going well and like we're on a good pace, and yeah. then I check the clock and yeah. we're fifty five minutes in yeah. and we've." barely started talking about the movie yeah. and I panic and <laughs> I try to hit like the the pace switch where all of a sudden I'm like okay um so moving on uh, we got this yeah. we got this we got this and just try yeah, to but, I mean you're you enjoy what you're doing I mean oh I love it yeah if you start rushing through you know it's not what you guys do no I I love it, it I just much. I just think three and a half hours is long enough yeah. If we, if we start going like five hours, <laughs> yeah. then there's a problem somewhere yeah. that needs addressing. <laughs> yeah. That's just for my probably. own like my own physical stamina. Well it's like, because... I'm I'm exhausted right now, Justin. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's but only nine thirty here. But you guys are doing two movies, so it's hard to you know, it's not it one is, movie for is, four and a half movies. This is why I want the tagline of this show just to be the world's most unaccessible podcast because it's four hours long and you have to watch two movies just to oh, even yeah. check it out. Look, I'm yawning. It's eight hours yeah. of work. It's a full day of work just to get through one of our episodes. <laughs> Shit, today's episode would be eight hours if you did. God damn. Yeah. What? <laughs> Do we ask this much of our listeners? This is like, this show's almost rude. What it asks people to do. <laughs> Frankly, it's rude. Well, nobody's going to do it in one sitting. It's just something you chip away at, you know? Good. That's, I like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for you to to, to do the rap. <laughs> you got this, Sean. I, he's trying. Oh, he's, he doesn't. He's I think he's going for some kind of record. What was, what was my, like four four hours and thirty three minutes? You're just making me giggle now. So I can't. Four hours and thirty five minutes. U- Umar's episode started out at like four forty three. I think I cut it. I cut like a half hour out of it. Just about. Yeah. yeah, my, yeah. my ribs hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Every, <laughs> Everyone can't do it. You got it, Sean. <laughs> this episode's never gonna end. <laughs> oh, be, oh, be kind to yourselves, be kind to your neighbors. <laughs> Take care, everyone. <laughs> See you next week. (laughs) Bye. 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 Uh. Oh, Oh, you did it. You did it. It hurt.